Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. center field. Dupar moving over. He dropped it! And headed over to third is Hanniger. There it is! And the Giants take the lead. Contreras never had a chance. Ball bounces way out in front of him. At that velocity, it kicks off of him, and it almost goes into the Giants' dugout. That is as wild a pitch as wild pitch could be. 3-0 to Wilmer Flores, and he hits a high drive. Left center field! It is out of here! Driven to right. Burleson can't get it. It's all the way out in the triples alley. Wade is going to hit the bag and go for three. And he's going to make it. Once again, the San Francisco Giants call on a Cardinals loss. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. And sitting in for BK, who is on his way to Kansas City, is the fellow ravioli. Tanner, sorry you're not Italian. I'm the random Swedish guy you guys found. But the two Ravs are back (laughs) together. Michelle Smallman is with us today. Smalls, how are you? I am doing great. It is so great to be reunited with you, Alex, my fellow ravioli, and of course, always to chat with Tanner. And I'm really pumped to be with you guys just because I love hanging out with you, but um, also because I have a question for both of you that I was hoping you could maybe answer for me. Okay, let's start it off. I like it. Okay, what the hell is going on down there? (laughs) I'm serious. What the hell is going on down there? Can you guys explain this to me? You know, Smalls, I'm watching the game last night, um, you know, and... Having a lot of fun, I'm Having a lot of fun. You know, I'm giving my time because my daughters are asleep, and I could go to bed because I'm exhausted, but I said, no, I want to watch this Cardinals team snap a two-game losing streak, (laughs) and the moment, Smalls, that Lars Newtbar and Alec Burleson were running for a baseball... And it's just it's just hanging up there. The hang time is super high. And I'm thinking, all right, pop fly should be simple. And then as they get closer and closer and closer and closer, I'm like, oh, this is going to go bad. That ball dropped. And I said, well, that's probably the worst thing that can happen tonight. Mm. Nope. Incorrect. Wilson Contreras gets a ball that goes wild on him, nearly goes into the dugout, as you heard the Giants call on that one. And then it was just bomb after bomb after bomb later in that game for another unfortunate Cardinals loss. And Smalls, I don't I don't know that I can pinpoint what the hell is going on here with St. Louis other than say everything, because this road trip is officially a failure. You are now one in five. After six games between the Mariners and the and the Giants, the best you can go is five and five. And that's like asking for a lot, hoping that they go undefeated yeah, the final they, four games. They look like they can win four in a row. Absolutely. But small, but smalls <laughs> to your point of what's gone wrong. Listen to these numbers. 
their offense on this road trip. They've scored 20 runs, a 241 batting average, a 301 on base percentage, a 392 slug. They're hitting 195 with runners in scoring position. Okay, well, Alex, the pitching can't be that bad. No, 29 runs, 24 of them have been un- uh, they've been earned. And teams are hitting 254 against the Cardinals pitching. Well, at least their defense is good, Alex. No, they've had five errors on this road trip that have led to four unearned runs. So Smalls, to answer your question, everything is going wrong with this team right now. It's as if we need to get into the clubhouse and perform an exorcism. I I don't know what bad juju got a hold of them, but it's permeated into every aspect of this team. You're right. The offense, not great. Starting pitching, not great. Bullpen, defense, managing. Some of the moves we're seeing made by the front office, which I know we're going to be getting into throughout (laughs) the show. But it, it just seems like... They're snake bitten for some reason because I was thinking about this, guys, when I was uh, watching the game last night and prepping for the show today. Let's go back to week or the first series of the season. Yeah. You know, how great did we feel about this team those first three games coming out of spring training into the first three games of the season? I think we got on these airwaves and said this could be a World Series contender. Yeah, and BK ev- comped them to the 2004 Cardinals team. Small. <laughs> there, there there's where our mistake went. We let BK <laughs> start true. comping the team to somebody else. Did he BKO the Cardinals? Oh, yeah, oh, definitely. He, he BKO'd Last year, the Blues. This, I mean, he does everything. <laughs> Last Smalls. year, this team started scuffling when he left something in Ollie's office. Skip had to literally message him on Twitter and say, BK, you've got to come get oh, this yeah. out of the office. It was his recorder that he left yeah. in the office. And Skip said, BK, we are in the midst of a losing streak. Come get this. Wow. He came and got the recorder and they started winning again. Okay, so this does have something to do with BK. Some sort of energy that's coming from him is impacting the Cardinals. I'd say he just needs to stay in Kansas City, right, Smalls? He's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I'll hang out with you guys until he gets back. But the one, you know, Offense is is one thing, guys. Pitching is another thing. But the defense, the defensive errors, the defense has been the calling card of this team for quite some time. They have the hardware to prove it. That stuff, all of it's inexcusable. But the defensive errors, especially the one that we saw last night, that's why I'm really left scratching my head. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's it's got Ali Marmol scratching his head, too. Let's hear from him after last night's uncharacteristic defense. You get a drop ball there. It's unfortunate. The guy's actually been pretty good in the outfield for us for, for quite some time now. So uh, it's going to happen. Um, but it's just a different guy every night, and it's been unfortunate in the timing of it, um, of one of these non-plays that t- taking place. I mean, on one sense of it, Smalls, I can look at it and say, yeah, it is unfortunate. I mean, it's rare to see Tommy Edmond have a couple of balls just eat him up at second base and mm-hmm. miss those plays. But just to go back through this season, yeah, maybe the last three, four, or five games have been good for the outfield, but Overall, it's been issues in the outfield. I mean, you go back to the Dylan Carlson overrunning a ball that's to him in center field that scores the run. And then you go to the infield situation where we've seen multiple times rundowns missed, balls that have been bobbled, not being able to make the turn to to to, to second base on the on the uh, double play. And then you're getting the passed balls by Wilson Contreras and the wild pitches by some of these bullpen guys. I mean, it's it's infuriating seeing that. Because for the longest time, it's been, well, if the offense scuffles, then, well, at least you know that the pitching and the defense is going to be able to hold down the fort. But your pitching hasn't been good enough. And even when they're starting to get things going, that's when the errors come up. I mean, it really is whack-a-mole this season for the Cardinals. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And and you're right. The offense, there's always going to be ebbs and flows offensively in, in a baseball season. It happens all the time. The pitching, we had questions about the pitching entering the season. You expected there to be some issues with the pitching. And so you would think, well, they can control what they can control, which is to be super solid defensively. That's always going to be a foundation of one of these Cardinals teams. But five errors so far in this road trip, four unearned runs. I mean, that's just unacceptable. Yeah, the, the defense, I, I don't know what's more frustrating. The defense. Defense or the offense? Because, yes, I agree yes. with what you guys have said. Yeah, both. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> defensively, they are. They should be a much better team than this defensively. Just eh, these airs have just been unbelievable what they've had. Edmund being ate up. Newpar dropping a ball in the outfield. I, I, I don't find that one as as frustrating as the offense, even though it is frustrating, because the pitching should be able to come through even though those airs occur. And they just can't. The floodgates open and then all hell breaks loose. I, the offense is the part that is just unbelievable unbelievably frustrating at this point for the St. Louis Cardinals because Michelle mentioned it after that first series against Toronto and uh, yesterday when we had John Denton on he said you know when this team had bad offense performances this year I thought they'd be scoring three or four runs well it turns out when they have bad offense performances they don't score at all and they got lucky to scratch across some runs last night in that ninth inning otherwise we'd be talking about another blowout in the sense of the St. Louis Cardinals this offense has got to get going if this team's going to turn this thing around because right now they've got nobody hitting and I mean absolutely nobody hitting outside of Paul Goldschmidt who is starting to heat up and until somebody else starts coming with him this Cardinals team is going to scuffle and it may extend even further into May and my uh my saying of weirdish happens in the first month and a half may have to be extended weirdish happens in the first two to three months of a major league baseball yeah, that's season. not gonna fly anymore I, I mean as much as we do joke around and say there are similarities between the blues and the cardinals to me the biggest similarity right now is what the blues went through when like when one bad thing happened it just started a snowball you remember in a game where one goal would go in and you'd think up floodgates just open and then four more goals would be scored in three minutes that to me is what's happening with this offense right now Paul Goldschmidt's carrying you on his shoulders in the first couple of innings with his home runs and his first two at bats and San Francisco's still in it they score a run but you're thinking all right we're up and then the Lars Newtbar drop happens and I'm not blaming it on that but what happens is when one error occurs it feels like everybody on the offense says okay now I gotta go save the game because I just committed that or I was a part of that how do we go out there and change that where this team knows that they're talented enough I mean Nolan Arenado looks lost at the plate right mm-hmm. now and that's my guy Smalls but yeah. When, when he looks lost at the plate, when Nolan Gorman starts to look a little lost at the plate, when you've got all of these bats that you were relying upon, I truly believe that that's the biggest blue similarity to this Cardinals team is they don't know how to stop the snowball and they're putting too much pressure on themselves. And that is a bit surprising to me because you do have, even though Yachty is not there, even though Albert's not there, even though Wayno isn't in his same role, you still have veteran presence there and Goldie and Arenado. Contreras is new to the team, but he's certainly a veteran guy too. You would think that they would have a better perspective point and be able to stop the bleeding a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I know the... The leadership and the vibe is different heading into this season. But I think that that's one of the perplexing parts for me, too, is is it it just seems like the holistically the team is off and that you don't really have anybody to look to to save the day. I mean, we were on a group chat last night and after Goldie hit those two home runs, you you should be thinking as a Cardinals fan or as a Cardinals observer. Okay, here we go. This is what is supposed to happen. The best player on the team is supposed to step up and turn the tide. Instead, I'm watching this game saying, how are they going to blow this? (laughs) 
which yeah. they absolutely did. And I can't remember the last time top to bottom that I felt this bummed out watching Cardinal baseball. I was thinking back to that June in 2021 when the offense was just horrific. Oh, that was and it bad. was emotional masochism <laughs> watching those games. But you still felt like this is just so historically bad and uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic that they'll find a way to pull out of it. Whereas when I'm watching this team, I can't make heads or tails of how th- how they write the ship. I don't really know how they they turn the tide and get things going in the right direction. It was a phenomenal question that you asked us last night, and even T Bone and I were like, "Oh yeah." I'm not having fun this season watching this Cardinals team. And so since BK's out, I was the nerd and deep dove into the numbers with this. It was the 2016-2017. Like, those two seasons were the years that I remember because I was doing pre- and post-games for the Cardinals. It was infuriating because... Remember, the offense was one of the best in Major League Baseball. 2016, they were top five in home runs, batting average, on-base percentage, and slug percentage. They were studs in the offensive category. They were bottom 10 in Major League Baseball in every pitching aspect you can ask for. They were giving up a ton of walks. They were not striking guys out, and their ERA was through the roof. And their errors were bottom five in the National League. Wow. So, like, 2016-17, and remember, because it was Mike Matheny, he was the the ultimate optimist. Yeah, he was like, (laughs) oh, it's like, oh, no, these guys are fine. This is on me. He was blaming himself, not talking about the players or anything like that. But that season, Smalls, was frustrating just like this one was. Maybe in the sense that at least you were seeing the bright side of the offense in those years. Mm -hmm. But the pitching was so bad that even how good your offense was, you couldn't figure it out. And then... When your pitching would at least give you a good start, the errors would pop up. That's what this season feels like. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think the the most miserable I've been watching Cardinals baseball had to be that year that Michelle mentioned, 2019. Because not only was the offense bad in June, they also had, like, no pitching. What That year where they were walking the world. Oh, I, I remember God, yeah. I, oh, I could God. go. Is that the John Gant years? Yeah, John Gant, <laughs> oh. Daniel Ponce de Leon. Harry Houdini. Yeah, the, oh, that, that team was brutal to watch at times because I felt confident that I could go to the plate blindfolded with a uh, pinata bat in my hand and drawing a walk from that pitching staff. And, and they were walking the world. That That's the last Smalls, time I've been this one thing you got to know is Tanner's really optimistic about his athletic ability. Yeah, I, I think really? I could have drawn a walk on that team. I, I think everybody on this show could have drawn a walk from that team. That's how bad that pitching staff was. That's the last time I can remember like watching games and being like, man, they're, they're not fun to watch. I don't think they're going to win this game. And, and we're back to that point on this team. And th- this team's more frustrating because this team should be better yeah. because we did have the World Series aspirations when the year started. Yeah, that's the infuriating portion of it all. The good news is they're back in action later on today oh, to see if they can right this <laughs> ship. And, you know, we said yesterday that we already knew what the talking point was going to be for the open of our show before the year is even a first pitch last night. Well, and then, of course, the Cardinals had first pitch and dropped balls and home runs, and that changed some things. But I'm a little fired up about a transaction that took place yesterday. Smalls might be just as fired up as I am. So we're going to get into that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yeah, we're talking about superstar type of player here. And uh, 
we want to make sure that some of the adjustments that he's having to make, if you look at his minor league numbers and you look at what he did in double A, um, he was on the ground quite a bit. His walk rate wasn't what it needed to be. He could have been higher. But at the end of the day, we wanted to make sure that he starts lifting the baseball in order to utilize the power that he does have. And the adjustments mechanically that he's having to make at this level, um, it's a difficult ask, especially at his age. So we wanted to make sure that uh, that took place down below. And we trust me when we say we look forward to seeing him again soon. So that was manager Ali Marmal yesterday on the Bally Sports Midwest pregame show. Appreciate them helping us out with that audio. Ali, of course, talking about the Cardinals decision yesterday, which kind of surprised some people where they decided to option Jordan Walker to triple A from Memphis. And in the retroactive move, they signed Taylor Motter to a contract. So for those that might be saying, what the hell are you talking about? So they DFA'd Taylor Motter. Nobody pounced on taking him from waivers, which should be surprising to everybody that nobody wanted Taylor Motter, T-Bone. Oakland didn't even want him. Oakland didn't even (laughs) want him. Vegas didn't even want him. But so he's DFA'd, and so they sign him to a contract to bring him back to the roster and put him on the team. And alongside Michelle Smallman, I'm Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson with you as well. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. This might surprise people, but I wasn't upset as much, Smalls, about the decision to send Jordan Walker to AAA because he wasn't getting playing time. Yeah, he was struggling. As Ali mentioned, he wasn't hitting the ball above, or he wasn't getting the ball up. He was hitting it in the ground pretty much nonstop. Mm hmm. And Jordan Walker needs to get that right because he's 20 years old. And if people may have missed it, uh, Michael Gersh uh, was with us at Ballpark Village on opening day. And this is what he said about Jordan Walker's decision to be a part of the opening day roster. As a group, our discussions, there were some people who, you know, were more convinced earlier than others. Some people who were a little bit more wanted to wait and see how this went and wait, you know, like it's tough, but. It's not just depends on Jordan. I mean, he's competing against a bunch of guys who either are big established big leaguers or guys like Yepes and Burleson who have shown that they 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 are already better than AAA. It was a complicated little puzzle to put together, but at the end of the day, he's just he's ready. So we'll get to the other roster move in a minute, but Smalls putting Jordan Walker into the minors is going to be good for him and it's going to be good for the team in multiple reasons. I really wasn't upset about that decision to move forward with Jordan Walker. I was. Were you? <laughs> yes, I was. I mean, Smalls did tell us before we got on the radio. She took her hoop earrings out, so you know she's ready for a brawl. And you know what? <laughs> Some days just require the hoops to be removed if you're going to really throw down, and today is one of those days. I like it. The Cardinals forced me to wake up on the wrong side of the bed, remove the hoops, <laughs> and just hand it to them. <laughs> Listen, I hear everything that you are saying. I hear everything that Michael Gersh and John Mozeliak are saying about the issues that the team is having right now, figuring out the outfield. I get it. There's a log jam. I get it. Jordan Walker uh, had a historic start and things tailed off from there. There's some things he needs to address in his game and it's better served for him to do that with consistent playing time. However, when the team as a whole is struggling, of course, he's going to be part of that equation. And I would rather him be cemented as part of that outfield and work through these issues at the major league level and at least stop one of these chairs and this game of musical chairs <laughs> and continue to instill the confidence in him that you did when you had him break camp and be part of the major league roster, regardless of injury situations or not. I just would rather him work through this at the major league level level than the minor league level. Uh, I- 
I'm with you there. Like, he's got to figure it out sooner or later. And to go to AAA and dominate and then bring him back up. And if he struggles again, you can't keep doing this like, hey, get back on the bus and head back to Memphis. But I, I, I really thought of the Jake Neighbors situation when they sent down Jordan Walker yesterday. And I don't think it has anything to do with his performance and everything to do with where this team's mentality is at right now. And I remember Doug Armstrong talking with the media when they decided to send Jake Neighbors back to Springfield. And he said, look, it just doesn't make sense for him to be with this team right now because of where we are at in terms of performance and mentality. That might be a little of this with Jordan Walker, too, where it's like, look, this team is fighting it massively right now, stressed out, gripping the bat too tight, not making any hits. And then on top of it, we're trying to get a 20-year-old to figure out how to perform at the major league level. Maybe this is more so to try and clear the air in this clubhouse than it is like, hey, let's let Jordan Walker figure it out at this level. So protect him from the bad energy that's happening in right. St. Louis? Yeah, and that, but that was the biggest thing that they said about him. It's like, oh, well, maturity-wise, he's ready to be a major league uh-huh. player. Which he is. Which he is. I mean, we've heard him talk. We've heard him discuss his mindset. And, I mean, we've seen him perform where he went through a slump and he came back up. And that's why it does. The frustrating part is, I guess, how it got to this point. Because, yes, he started off in a 12-game hitting streak. But did you make the wrong decision of bringing him up to begin with in the season? Did you make the wrong decision of giving him a taste of it and sending him back down? Should you have started it with Memphis Because let's remember, he was doing all of this in the second portion of spring training also. Yes, but I think at that point, given what you'd seen from him in totality from spring training, he earned that spot and you wanted to reward him because he couldn't have really shown you anything else. He proved that he was ready for the spot. And of course, with a rookie player, a player of that age, there is going to be a calibration period. There are going to be ebbs and flows. Once once teams get some material on you and they know how to pitch you, things are going to shift. And that's what happens as you grow as a player. You learn how to make those adjustments. And I just wish that he was part of the conversation as far as the consistency in the outfield. And guys, I'm just like, I'm so sick of this. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I mean, what is this? Like, are we back to the Randall Gritchick area? Like, how many years, (laughs) how many seasons do we have to talk about finally hitting stop on the outfield carousel and getting three permanent spots? And I know injuries happen and slumps happen, but doesn't it seem like we've been having this conversation for like a decade at this point? Yes, Mm -hmm. they've been stuck in this outfield carousel. Every time they think they get one guy, the guy only has one year. Tyler O'Neill, for example. Randall Gritchick. Randall Gritchick. Bader. It's happened for a year, and then it just disappears, and they're back to scrambling for what they're looking for. But I I agree with— While they traded the piece away, and he goes and plays like Babe Ruth (laughs) somewhere else. We don't have to bring him up. Yes, that did occur. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, But I I agree with Michelle. I would have kept Jordan Walker up here. And and part of the reason why goes to what you mentioned about spring training is because, yes, he struggled at the end of spring training, but why was the reason they brought him on the team? Yes, because of the first half performance but the way he carries himself and the way he handles himself and I think he would have made the adjustments here at the major league level he is too talented not to make the adjustment here at the major league level and I understand what people are saying uh, that say you know they should send him down they don't want to bury him they don't want to have him lose confidence 
I wasn't there yet. And yes, he had been kind of struggling towards the back end of that hitting streak, but it really just been eight games since the end of that hitting streak in which he's been cold, where his OPS is real low and he struck out a lot. I do think he would have made the adjustments here at the big league level. I do think the moment you brought him up on opening day should have been a signal of, hey, this guy's going to be the starting right fielder for a big chunk of the season and not giving up hope when he went through his first struggle first struggle in the season. If I'm being honest, I would have sent Dylan Carlson down. I've seen enough of Dylan Carlson. Carlson has struggled this year. He's not hitting right-handed pitching again. He is not back to 2021 Dylan Carlson. And the wrist injury that they pointed to feels a lot like what they did with Paul DeYoung where, oh, he was hurt. Oh, he had COVID. That's why he's not hitting. And I look at Carlson, I go, he has the same issues that he had when he was in 2021. I don't think it was a wrist issue. He hasn't hit right-handed pitching in his career. If you wanted to clear up room for this outfield and kind of make this easier on Ollie Marmol, I think Carlson would have been the guy that I would have sent down to AAA, and I would keep plugging in Jordan Walker in right field and run a platoon in left between Burleson and O'Neill. So I can tell that the temperature's a little high in here right now, guys. Even no, out, even out in New York good. where Smalls is at, uh, my hoop earrings are about to come out right now. Ooh, and they're beautiful hoops. Thank, thank you very much. Pure gold. <laughs> don't, don't, don't listen to anybody that says they're cubic zirconia. The problem that I had with the transaction yesterday was that you did the move and retroactive to it and brought up Taylor Motter. This has nothing. Look, whatever you want to do with Jordan Walker, if you feel like he needs to get reps in Memphis or feel like that his bat wasn't going to play here right now, the confidence, look, it doesn't matter. You're basically wiping the board clean of him and saying, okay, we're going to figure out our outfield. But, hey, guess what our biggest problem is right now, guys? It's offense. And Taylor Motter was the answer to bring him up. And I don't care the excuse that somebody's going to say, well, he's just going to be the 26th man on the roster. You're not going to see much of him. No, I would almost guarantee you're going to see more of him. Why did they not just go to Juan Yepes? Juan Yepes by the way, making him eat it a little bit because he hit a bomb yesterday for the mm. Memphis Redbirds. But this season, Juan Yepes has, for the Memphis Redbirds, hit 268 with an 846 slug. Uh, two, or I'm sorry, an 846 OPS, two home runs, eight RBIs in 10 games played. Juan Yepes, although he's not an outfielder, what? You've got the other outfielders figured out. Juan Yepes's bat can play. And you went with the decision of bringing in Taylor Motter. So what? You can have an extra body for your infield. You've got plenty of guys for your infield. You got Edmund. You got Donovan. You got Gorman. You've got Arenado and Goldschmidt. You got enough guys. You don't need a Taylor Motter. You need a Juan Yepes. You need a bat. And this was not the right move by the Cardinals. Yeah, I know that their rationale for it is that Yepes will not alleviate the the traffic pileup that they're having right now in the outfield and DH position, and that um, Modder knows his role, essentially, right? They know he's going to be a bench guy. But why not then bring up somebody who has the numbers that you just rattled off, Alex, and Yepes, and say, the best person is going to play. If he's putting these numbers up, he's going to play. Why not bring somebody up that you think could provide a spark for your team offensively? Yeah, I, I mean, you could, like, Juan Yepes can be a DH for you. Because who are you using in the DH spot right now? Days off for Goldschmidt and Arnon. I think they've had enough of those and over Gorman. the last couple of Gorman. weeks. Gorman as well. But Gorman, I think his bat was part, a, a big part of the equation. Absolutely. Here. But Brennan Donovan has been inconsistent right now. Let's put a Nolan Gorman at second base. Yeah, guess what? Well, the second base, he's not good defensively. Right now, nope, many people are good defensively for you right now in the positions that they're playing. I need bats. I need guys who can hit. And Juan Yepes can do that for you. I, I, I don't even necessarily 
care if Yepes really started if he came up here. And I know that was the big, that is probably the big issue for the Cardinals is they want him getting reps as a mm-hmm. outfielder in the minor leagues. But if we're being honest, is Yepes gonna translate to an outfielder here at the major league level? Considering no. your manager last year said, "Hey, how's his defense? Well, he can catch the ball." Well, that wasn't very uh, promising of how you view him as an outfielder. Can he be a DH for you? Yes. Will he be a bench bat in his career? Probably. He's going to be a bench bat or a DH. I don't see him as an outfielder. If, if anything, he's going to remind me of a JD Martinez. Maybe not get to that level in terms of his offensive production, but be just a DH and a right-handed bench bat. You look at their bench right now. If there's a right-hander on the mound, and let's just say they go with uh, O'Neill, uh, Newbar, and Burleson as their outfield, your bench right now, Taylor Motter, probably an automatic out. Andrew Kisner, you're not using, but if you did, he's an automatic out. If you go to Dylan Carlson, he's an automatic out against right-handed pitching. And depending on how you're buying into Paul DeYoung's new swing, he might eventually re- revert back to himself and be an automatic out. Where is the power on the bench? You should bring up, they should have brought up Juan Yepes. He is going to translate to a bench bat, and I I don't think you're going to stunt his growth. I think he could have handled this role and provided you a little bit of a boost off of the bench to be that right-handed bat for when, a say, a left-hander comes in when they're going up against Nolan Gorman. If you don't like that matchup, you can go to Juan Yepes. I I found this move very puzzling because there is no way that you can tell me Taylor Motter, and look, I, I was an advocate for Motter in spring. I said he deserved to be on the roster. I saw him play in the regular season. You cannot advocate to me that Taylor Motter belongs on the roster right now, even though it is the quote-unquote 26th man. The only other thing that I'll say with this is the role that they're saying with Taylor Motter should be Paul DeYoung's role. And I get that, yeah, Paul DeYoung's hitting right now. Okay, but forgive me if I'm still pessimistic on that side of it. But Brendan Donovan, as much as we want to say that Brendan Donovan should be an everyday player— He's 0 for 13 in his last five games, and he's got one walk. Or, I'm sorry, he's 2 for 13 in his last five games, and he's got one walk. And those two hits came in one game. Brendan Donovan should be used as the utility guy that we were talking about all along. And you've got a Nolan Gorman performing at second base to see if he can figure that out with Tommy Edmond at shortstop. And that's where your Juan Pez can be at the DH position to get this offense going. If that's going to get the offense going, because what you're doing is trying to figure out what you've got in your major league roster by sending Jordan Walker down. Why not bring somebody up to figure out who he is also rather than bring somebody up who you know exactly who he's going to be in Taylor Motter. She's Michelle Smallman, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. I felt like a little bit of a purge what we did earlier this week. We did a purge earlier this week, Smalls, where we Uh, got rid of all of our anger. Yeah, this felt like group therapy. Yeah, I liked it. I, did. I feel better. I do. Yeah, I feel too. I feel much better. Let's get into something a little bit more exciting because it's NFL draft season, ladies and gentlemen, and we are pumped up. So we'll get to some NFL quick hitters coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Officially made it. NFL Draft Round 1 begins tonight in Kansas City, which, by the way, you can hear right here on your home for the NFL Draft 101 ESPN. Alongside Michelle Smallman and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Smalls, as we hit some NFL quick hitters, let's start with the number number one pressing question going into tonight's draft. What are the Texans going to do? Here's Adam Schefter. Houston is the pick that I think everybody across the league is now wondering about because most people had assumed up until a couple of weeks ago that the automatic pick would be a quarterback. But they have been discussing defensive players, most notably Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech and Will Anderson from Alabama. Now, they still could go C.J. Stroud, but there is an open, long conversation going on within the organization, and we'll see where the Texans come in at number two. But they are not locked into taking a quarterback at two, even though ultimately that could turn out to be the pick. A lot of discussion about a lot of other players. Smalls BK continues to believe that the Texans can't be that dumb to not select a quarterback at number two and take a defensive player. I think the Texans have proven how dumb they've been over the last (laughs) few seasons. Where do you stand on the number two pick tonight? Well, I I think that we have been uh, given a lot of evidence that the Texans will not do the smart thing. (laughs) But I, I understand that thought process, right? Like Will Anderson is about as sure of an NFL pro- a prospect as you're going to get. Now, there's, of course, always prospects that don't turn out. But I understand them thinking uh, that they would love to get a, a prospect like him with the number two pick. And then don't forget, they also have number 12. So they're thinking maybe we'll be able to get a quarterback later. Of course, it probably won't be C.J. Stroud, but maybe Hendon Hooker will be there at 12, and they could get both players. However, uh franchise quarterback or or at least a really good QB1 is the most valuable currency in all of professional sports, all of sports. And if you have an opportunity to grab one that you think could be an impact player for your franchise and you're the Texans who desperately need that, you got to go C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. I think you go Stroud at two. That's where I'm at, too. I I believe C.J. Stroud. Frankly, I think the Carolina Panthers should go C.J. Stroud, but some people push back on that and say Bryce Young's going to be better. I I just, if you're the Texans, get C.J. Stroud. And even if you don't believe C.J. Stroud, then take Will Levis because one of those two are going to be better than Davis Mills this season. What? I know. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Here's the thing. If you take a defensive player at number two, I think I saw a list in just in terms of projections, in terms of linebackers from the draft. uh, Will Anderson was like projected to be the second best linebacker in the last 20 years behind Luke Keekley. So like that's impressive. But move down a couple of picks. Maybe make a trade with the Colts to see if you can get an extra pick because Will Anderson might still be there for you at number four. Or maybe you can make a move with the Arizona Cardinals, although I don't think they're going to be taking a quarterback. If you take a defensive player at number two, then what happens when Hendon Hooker's not there at 12? Then you don't get a quarterback. And then you look even dumber than what you did originally by not taking a quarterback. And and that's the part that I just don't understand in terms of the Texans' thought process of let's go defense at number two. 
and then let's wait for the a quarterback to drop. Why not just get the quarterback that you like best at two and then take a defensive player or move up from that 12th spot? That's what I would do. I, I saw a mock draft. I can't remember where it was. It might have been CBSSports.com where they had them taking uh, QB at two. I think it was Stroud. And then they had them trading up to that three spot because the Cardinals do one out and then getting Anderson. That That's what I would that do. That would be an impressive if, draft. If that's yeah. what you're going to do, if you want defense and a QB in this draft, I would go QB at that second overall pick, and then I would try and trade into the top three or top four. I, that's what I would do if, if I'm them. I Because Michelle's right. QB one is the the most important position in all of sports and deciding to pass on that to take a defensive player. That makes sense if you've got that QB, but you're right. You, you can't trust Davis Mills. We, we've seen it for two years. He's terrible. Like you need to go get a quarterback and that's what they need to do in poor, this draft Poor Davis Mills. So uh, the other thing, and look, obviously the Houston Texans are probably the number one answer on this and Carolina might be number two if they don't go Bryce Young. But what other teams intrigue you tonight, Smalls, for this first round of the draft? The Indianapolis Colts at number four, I think, are the most intriguing team in the draft. The Texans are obviously right there in that conversation based on everything we just said. But the Colts need a quarterback, and I don't know if they're going to get the guy that they want. I've been reading a lot about the different quarterbacks they're interested in. But the fact that they're still in the mix for a Lamar Jackson, and if they don't get the guy that they want in the draft, that they could go out and get Lamar. I I was reading a report this week on Monday that they haven't ruled out having discuss discussions with Lamar. And so the fact that that's still on the table for them, I think could really impact a trade or a move that they make in this year's draft. I think there are going to be so many more trades than people are anticipating with this draft tonight in terms of players like actual NFL players. And then of course, draft picks that get shifted around. Uh, my team is the Detroit lions. I'm really curious what they do with what is it six and 18 that they have because if CJ Stroud doesn't go at number two and the Colts don't take him at number four, maybe Seattle goes a quarterback there, but I've heard, I've seen a lot of Jalen Carter comes to the Seattle Seahawks. I really wonder if Detroit goes and gets CJ Stroud, if he's sitting there for them and you can put him there behind Jared Goff for a year. And then you might have CJ Stroud to be your franchise quarterback moving into next season. But if they don't, I mean, you're talking about two picks in the top 20 for a team that was probably the most impressive turnaround team last season in the NFL. They could really turn into one of those teams that you look at and you say, man, they might be pushing for a deep playoff run this season with this draft. The team that fascinates me is a team at 11 in the Titans because they are rumored to be shopping Ryan Tannehill. And if they're shopping Tannehill, it's pretty obvious they don't trust Malik Willis. I mean, they benched him for who was Joshua Dobbs last year in a win or go home game on Thursday night football. I, uh, I, I am fascinated to know what they do because I could see where they move up to three and trade with the Cardinals and go get their quarterback, whether it be Levis Stroud, whoever ends up, whoever doesn't go number two overall, or I could see where they sit back at 11 and see if Anthony Richardson drops off the board and comes down to them or if uh, Hendon Hooker comes down to them because I was looking at the uh, FanDuel Sportsbook uh, yesterday, getting ready for the show, looking at like some of the prop bets. There's a there's a decent one on odds for Hooker to go to Tennessee at 11, which makes me wonder if there's a connection there. So I, I am fascinated to know what the Tennessee Titans do. And you mentioned like players that could be on the move. Not only could Tannehill be on the move, they, they've denied it, but there have been rumblings that they've been shopping Derrick Henry, which would be another guy to keep an yeah. eye on. I don't think he gets dealt, but we I didn't think A.J. Brown was going to be dealt on draft night either last year, and that ended up happening. 
Well, you'll have some uh, NFL prop bets coming up at uh, 1.30 today, and we'll get into a little bit more prop bets that do include some of the guys being selected in the draft and some trades that could potentially take place, along with Michelle Smallman and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, send us your questions, 314-399-9646. Send us your questions. We'll answer them. Coming up next on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. That is our text line where you can send your questions over for myself, Michelle Smallman, and Tanner Hendrickson with you today here on BK and Ferrario. Smalls, let's start with this one. Are you guys buying that Aaron Rodgers is more than just a one-year player for the New York Jets? If you missed it, his press conference yesterday Uh, He said, quote, they definitely gave up some picks for me to be here. So this isn't like a one and done in my mind. Am I believing that? Absolutely not. (laughs) We're talking about the same guy that mere weeks ago said he was 90% sure he was going to retire after last season. And then he went into a darkness retreat (laughs) and changed his mind. So you mean to tell me that... If he was 90% sure weeks ago that he was done, I mean, you might as well be at 100% at that point. 90, 90% sure, and then you changed your mind, that going to a historically inept franchise like the New York Jets in a scenario where you're used to control and getting everything that you want, and that may not happen, and, and joining a team that probably won't win the Super Bowl, when you have to get your body physically ready to play, your mind mentally ready to play, that I think at this time next year, he's going to be 100% ready to suit up? No, I don't at all. I don't believe that for one second, that he is looking at this as a multi-year deal with the Jets. 110%, I don't believe that this is more than a one-year thing because the Jets have a underwhelming season. He goes into, I don't trust anybody who I'm going to lose for an offseason because he goes into a darkness retreat for three weeks. I don't trust that man in terms of coming out of it and saying, yeah, you'll be in a normal state of mind when you exit that darkness retreat. So, yeah, no, I would fully guarantee that Aaron Rodgers can be like, yeah, we're good. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with both of you guys. I, I, I think if he ends up falling apart or not falling apart, if the Jets fall apart and don't make the playoffs or they kind of get in and then get bounced in the first round, I could totally see where he ends up retiring. And not only that, look at look at how he was with Green Bay. They essentially gave him everything he demanded. This was a franchise that he had grown up in, had a lot of success in. And what sort of loyalty did he have to them? What makes us think that just because the Jets gave up a bunch of picks and uh, put a lot of stock in him for their future that he's going to feel any sort of loyalty to them. Come yeah. on, he's not. They they have an underwhelming season. They missed the playoffs, something like that. He's probably going to be demanding a trade once again or wanting to go to another team to try and chase a championship. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm completely out on this Aaron Rodgers, the new face of the New York Jets idea. Uh, from the 314 on our questions and answers segment, does one playoff series win 
assuming it's speaking of the Cardinals, in the last nine years, is that considered a success or a failure? Speaking of, I guess, the 2019 Washington or the uh, Braves playoff series win. Yeah, that's the one that they're speaking of. One playoff series win in the last nine years. Success or fail, Smalls? It feels like a fail to me, guys. Does it feel like a success to you? No, it, it can't feel like a success. And I know we we sit here and we say like, yeah, look, the Cardinals, they, they're always a consistent team that get into the playoffs and absolutely understand. It's great to have that. But at some point, getting into the playoffs doesn't really matter. Like I remember that stretch of the blues where it was always making the playoffs, 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 playoffs. Mm -hmm. Cool. But I also know that when you make the playoffs, probably going to get bounced on that first round. And that's what it feels like for the Cardinals. This, at least in this stretch of games. Yeah, it really does. And I always kind of follow their lead on this. Their, their version of success is not just making the playoffs. Their version of success is winning a world series. Yeah. And that hasn't happened since 2011. And they've had teams that definitely should have been better. Uh, maybe a move should have been made earlier to shore up those teams. I, I still think, what was it, that 2020 team that went on that um, hot, hot, hot win streak, that if they would have won that game versus the Dodgers could have done a lot of damage in the playoffs, but mm -hmm. it didn't happen. And for one reason or another, they just haven't gotten it done. And... I know that they feel the pressure of not having won a World Series in 10 years. So they can't be. And that's not to minimize the success that the organization has had. Because I know a lot of franchises in baseball that would have loved to be in the Cardinals position over Absolutely. the last 10 years. But this is the St. Louis Cardinals. This is not the Pittsburgh Pirates. We are not talking about the Oakland A's. The standards are different for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, I, I think Michelle said it perfectly. You know, the standards are different. And I think you can view the regular season in years past, the last 10 years, to be mostly a success. But I, I think the playoffs are a different conversation because, let's be honest, that's how we grade the Cardinals is not how did you do in the regular season, but how far did you go in postseason play? So I, I would say regular season-wise, it's for the most part been a success for the Cardinals. But that's almost like the participation grade. The actual grade comes on the test, which is the playoffs. And that is where it's been a failure. The one series win. And I know the Cardinals try to downplay it, but that that is a failure. That That is something that I'm not saying they need to win a World Series every year. I'm not saying they need to win a World Series every other year like the Giants did in the six-year stretch. But they do need to perform better in the playoffs, and that's been a failure. So that's all my participation trophies I got at home from those third-grade spelling bees. Whew. Still thrive on those. No comment. No, no comment on that one. <laughs> one more from the 314 for questions and answers. When we get to the MLB trade deadline, who, in your opinion, has more value, Tyler O'Neill or Tommy Edmond? Well, I guess it, you have to wait and see how right. O'Neill is performing at that time. I would say Tommy Edmond right now. Um, the, th the thing about O'Neill that I still don't understand, is, and I know we've hashed it out and why Ollie did what he did publicly, but... If you were even at the beginning of the season using O'Neal as a potential trade chip down the line, if you even slightly viewed him as a piece that you could move to get to acquire a pitcher or a piece that you need to make yourself a World Series contender, I don't know why publicly you would you would admonish him and lessen that value in any way. Yeah. 
I'm 110% on the same side as you there. I, I mean, I, I know the similarity would be Jordan Cairo and Craig Berube, but not once did Craig Berube ever single out Jordan Cairo. He singled out players. Mm-hmm. He singled out younger players, but not once did he single out Jordan Cairo saying this was a bad game by him. Now, he and Cairo got into it on the Nashville bench. That's when Doug Armstrong said would have been better if they did that a couple more feet down the runway but he never once called that player out. That's why that Ali Marmol, Tyler O'Neill thing just felt so strange when it happened. Yeah, I, I didn't have a major issue with the way Ali handled that because I, I just think O'Neill's a literally a big boy uh, where he should be able to handle being called out by his manager. But I, I, I thought the time to trade O'Neill was in the offseason. I, I said in the mm-hmm. offseason I would try to trade O'Neill because I didn't think his high, his value could get, well, it wouldn't get any higher than from 2021, but I, I didn't think it would get close to where it was in 2021. And as we've seen, you could look at the back of his baseball card before the season started and see it was too inconsistent. And everybody views him as a five-tool player. I would have tried to trade him in the offseason. So right now, I, I think it is Tommy Evan because he still is a Swiss Army knife. He's good at shortstop. I know he's had airs at second base lately, but he's good there as well. And he's a decent bat with some decent power to add to a lineup if you were to bring him in. Well, speaking of Tyler O'Neill, he and Dylan Carlson are in the spotlight after the move that the Cardinals made yesterday with Jordan Walker. We'll discuss that coming up next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. To the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think a lot of um, our outfielders were wondering, like, when they were going to play, if they were going to play, why they were going to play, and now this will give them a little bit more certainty moving forward as well. Wait, Cardinals outfielders questioning where they're going to play when there's six of them that are trying to get into the games? Why would they do that? That was John Mozalak on Bally Sports Midwest talking about the decision to option down Jordan Walker and alongside Michelle Smallman and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. We got Mike Farron of MLB Network Radio coming up uh, in our next segment, so stay tuned for that. We'll get some of his answers and thoughts on what's gone wrong with this Cardinals team. But Smalls, I I look at this now and say, you made the decision to option Jordan Walker, like it or not, by Cardinals fans. Now the spotlight is on two players because Lars Nupar is going to be one of these guys no matter what. Mm-hmm. Alec Burleson's probably going to be in the lineup because of his bat, maybe get some DH, but he's going to be playing in the outfield more times than not. But really, this comes down to Dylan Carlson 
and Tyler O'Neill because as much as we believe Jordan Walker will be back sooner rather than later and playing in the outfield and being a mainstay for this team for years to come that that also can't be said for Dylan Carlson and or Tyler O'Neill at some point you've got to figure out who these guys are Tyler O'Neill 253 batting average two home runs six RBIs 309 on base percentage 387 slug 695 OPS he's below league average in the OPS plus category same can be said about Dylan Carlson he's massively struggling without a home run this season there this next month in my opinion is going to be viewed as it's between two of you. What what movie was that where they basically drop the the stick in between both and say first one comes out alive wins? That's what this feels like for the next month for Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill. Whomever comes out with the better numbers after this month is going to be one of our mainstays in the outfield. I don't think the movie you're, this is the movie you're referencing, but it's giving Hunger Games vibes. Thank to you. Me. That's yeah. That right? makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. And I, as much as I dislike the move to send down Jordan Walker, it does ratchet up the pressure on Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson. And yeah. you're, you're right, Alex. This is basically a Hunger Games-type scenario, and the Cardinals are essentially saying, which one of you is not going to be moved for pitching? Yeah, <laughs> Because exactly. these are two guys that could be attractive pieces for other teams, and the Cardinals need to figure out which one they need to hang on to. They need to know who is going to be at least hopefully one of their foundational pieces for the outfield. And, and both of these guys, gosh, it's so frustrating that we're even having this conversation about these two guys, because I mean, last year we're having conversations about Dylan Carlson, not getting um, put in a package for Juan Soto because the Cardinals believed in his future and his, his skill set so much that they didn't want to move him. I mean, he's the cold dead hands guy from John Mosellock and we're watching him struggle. And Tyler O'Neill has such incredible upside when he can stay consistent and when he can stay healthy. You know that he's got that sneaky, unbelievable speed. He's, he's got a strong defensive skill set. He's got the power when it's there. So it's, it's really up to these two guys to exert who's going to win. I think, by the way, it was the dark night. Our text line helping me oh, out there the where night. Joker drops the uh, pool's cue. And he says, yeah, there's only room for one. I, This was the comment, though, continuing the conversation. Sorry, T-Bone, that John Mozeliak talked about the outfielders. Quote, I think there's a little bit of questioning in what is my role. And I think the stress point is how do you get into that rhythm of the day-to-day season if you don't know if you're playing or not? So that's something internally that we've been talking through to try and get a better grasp of how we can allocate enough time that everybody feels like they're getting their bite of the apple. Right now, our lineup has looked quite different every single day. I think at some point we're going to have to simplify that so so players understand understand what expectations look like for them as an individual and from the coaching staff standpoint it's always it's not always a debate in trying to balance it all out so I looked this up smalls because I was curious the Cardinals lineup compared to other teams in the National League in terms of you know how consistent that lineup is and it's actually really similar the Cardinals have had um, the same lineup in back-to-back games three separate times the Atlanta Braves are the only team in the National League that's had more similarities in terms of their lineup in back-to-back days I think it was five times that it's been the same lineup Mm -hmm. but the difference is the Atlanta Braves might not be using the same lineup but they're using the same players and they're shifting them around. So players know they're getting their at-bats. They might just be hitting sixth one day. They might be hitting third one day. They might be hitting eighth one day. The Cardinals are doing, you're in this game, 
And then you might not play again for two more days. Mm -hmm. And that creates so much of the, if I don't perform tonight, let's say with two strikes and runners in scoring position, I'm not going to be in this lineup tomorrow. And for guys like Tyler O'Neill, who has had one good season and then a lot of disappointments for guys like Dylan Carlson, who had one good season and a lot of disappointments, that's not an easy thing to do. If you're thinking I'm going to be a mainstay in this lineup unless I perform. And if I don't perform, then I'm going to be sitting on the bench. Yeah, maybe it's giving them the confidence they need to know that their their current at-bat is not going to predicate their playing time the next day or the next two days. But also in that quote that you just read, Alex, and t- both of you guys tell me if I'm wrong here, one line kind of stood out to me where you said that Mo said it's players understanding what their expectations are for them as an individual and also for the coaching staff, that it's not a debate. Do you do you extract what I extract out of that is, is basically Mo saying, I'm going to take Jordan Walker off the table so there's no debate with the coaching staff over what's, what the lineup is going to be. I'm going to exert my power here so that I give O'Neal and Carlson the runway needed so that I can figure out what to do as the Pobo. Yeah, that that's kind of how I saw it too was it it was kind of a hey it's too difficult on Ollie Marmol right now to where either he's either a overthinking it or b he's just trying to balance it too much and we think that's part of the reason this offense has struggled so I agree with you that is kind of how I read into part of that quote from John Mozalek was not only do we need to get roles kind of in place for some of these guys we need to make the job a little bit easier on Ollie Marmol to where he's not balancing these guys but with that being said this is the most important month in Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill's career, in my opinion. I'd lean more towards Tyler O'Neill than Dylan Carlson because of the age and the contract situation. I, I, I think it's both because I, I, I Michelle said it uh, when we started the segment. I think both guys carry immense value across Major League yep. Baseball because everybody sees the tools in these guys to where if one guy doesn't perform, I think somebody could look at that and go, you know, we might be able to bring in a, let's just say it's Carlson. I, we can bring in a Carlson and we can fix him. I, I think the next month, Two weeks to a month. I don't know how long they're going to give these guys, but two weeks to a month is the most important part of Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson's careers so far. And with that being said, it's also maybe the most important moment that we're going to look back on as this winning window, if you can call that while they're struggling. But what we thought was going to be a winning window this year, this is the most important decision they've got to make. They've got to get the right outfield right. We mentioned it in the first segment or second segment of today's show. It's been a carousel of outfielders for this team, dating back almost five, six years now, back to when they traded Randy Rosarena. They have got to get the outfield right, and that's why this month is an important stretch, not only for the outfielders individually, but for the Cardinals organization as a whole. What I would really like to see, and this is just my preference, but I would like them to I would like them to go with O'Neal, Carlson, and Newt Barr for an extended stretch of time. And I know people hear that and say, why would you not play Alec Burleson? Because I think I already know what Alec Burleson is going to be for you. He's got the pop. He can get on base if you need him to. But the defense in the outfield's not that great. But you want that bat in there. What I don't know, and I know people are going to fire back on this and get fired up saying like... Dylan Carlson, yeah, we understand the splits. He can hit one side and can't hit the other. But let's really find that out. Tyler O'Neill, you got the power, but you're striking out a lot. Let's find that out. As much as I want to see Alec Burleson in this lineup, and as much as I want to get this offense going, I also want to find out, is the reason that we are struggling this season, if I'm Ollie looking at this and saying, 
is it really because these guys are insecure about their opportunities to play? Because if that's what it is, one, then that's another problem we're going to have to identify down the road. If these guys struggle with confidence and not being in and out of the lineup. But the other thing is, are you actually an everyday player? Because in a matter of weeks, maybe months, Jordan Walker is going to be back on track and Jordan Walker is going to be back up here. And when he's back, he's back up here. He's going to be in the lineup every day. And I would imagine Lars Nupar is going to be that other guy. So which one of you two, three are going to be that other one with these two? Uh, your your point about the confidence of them needing to know that they're going to play every day, it reminds me of Colton Wong and Mike Matheny. Remember when that was going down uh, back in the day when Mike Matheny didn't give Colton Wong the everyday job and it impacted him mentally. And then Mike Schilt comes in and tells him, even if you struggle, this is your job because he knew him from the minors and he knew that he needed to be managed this way. And I think there is something to be said about the modern young athlete and the way that they are managed. It's probably different than back in the day when you're expected to just, you know, suck it up, whatever. I mean, these guys are dealing with a lot. They're dealing with social media. They're dealing with people like us that talk about it 24-7. And there probably is a different level of stress, stressors and pressures that these guys deal with every day and put on themselves. And as a manager or an organization, if you have a conversation with them and you realize if I give you this security blanket of you not having to worry about this one thing every day, then I will go ahead and do that. But it's up to you then to perform. She's Michelle Smallman. I'm Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendricks. And let's ask Mike Farron this. MLB Network radio host will get his thoughts on the lineup consistency. We'll get his thoughts on the Cardinal struggles and potentially if Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson could be trade bait in the next couple of months. All that comes your way next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN as the Cardinals are in the midst of a three-game losing streak, looking to snap that a little bit later on this afternoon as they'll be hitting first pitch against the San Francisco Giants to wrap up this series. And we are going to head to our 101 ESPN hotline and welcome in one of my favorites. He's a MLB Network radio host. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron. He is Mike Farron. And Mike, how are you today, buddy? I'm good. How's the gang doing today? Not great, Mike, because of, as you would imagine, uh, St. Louis Cardinals nation is uh, well not feeling very well as uh, the Cardinals sit at the bottom of the National League Central on April 27th. Mike, if I would have told you that at the beginning of the season that the Cardinals will be at the bottom of the NL Central before the end of April, your answer would have been? What is everybody over 500? <laughs> Like, I mean, I think that's the part, like, I mean, it's April, right? So it's, I mean, weird things can happen, but I don't, I mean, even with some of the concerns that I had about the Cardinals coming into the season, I didn't anticipate a start like this. I don't think anybody would have uh, based on the talent that's on the roster. Well, Mike, they are sitting there at 9-16. and 16. They're in the basement of the NL Central. A pretty distressing start for the Cardinals. As, as you observe this team and you diagnose them, what's the problem? Well, I mean, I wish it was simple to just say that there's one issue. I mean, there's a couple of them right now. Like, the offense hasn't been particularly consistent, although I think they're going to be fine. 
and they haven't played great defensively of late, which, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit curious because they, they were so good defensively for so long when it came to positioning if some of the restrictions in positioning now has impacted them at all in that, at least on the infield. Um, and they've also had to, you know, they've got a couple of guys that they had you know, converted in the outfield in the first part of the season and Jordan Walker, um, you know, trying to learn basically how to play right field on the fly. And he really doesn't have that much experience playing in the outfield. Now with Burleson, who is fine, I think, as an outfielder, just doesn't have a ton of foot speed. So that, that's one of the limitations that he has. So I think those are part of it. But my bigger concern with the Cardinals coming into the season was that one I think I talked about with you guys, heck, going back to October of last year, right, which was they just don't have a rotation that misses many bats. And I think it's really hard to win in 2023 without at least a couple of people that are, are that have some swing and miss stuff, you know, and that's like when you contrast it to even a team like the Cubs, who I think are a little bit out over their skis, a couple of their pitchers get swing and miss, you know, Steele gets a decent enough swing and miss to strikes about a quarter of the hitters he faces. Hayden Wisniewski is murder on right-handers. And so the, the Cardinals don't have that. They've got guys that are quality at, quality pitchers at making pitches and maybe, you know, the, the last start from Jack Flaherty really puts the, him moving in the right direction and he can get back to where he was a couple of years ago when, you know, in 2019, he was striking out 30% of the batters that he faced. I mean, his slider was a lot better against Seattle, but that's one of my big concerns is that in 2023, if you can't miss bats with your pitching staff, the hitters are just too good, and if you miss on the plate, they're going to make you pay. To that point, Mike, I, I mean, I, I feel like there's optimism at least for Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery, but those are the only two guys, and you come into the season and people are looking at it as, yeah, but the Cardinals pitched a contact and they got such good defense, to your point of the defensive struggles, but the fact that Miles Michaelis has been getting hit really hard, the same with Steven Matz, and we haven't seen Adam Wainwright because of the injury, it's going to be difficult, and I would imagine you agree with this, if you only got two guys at the top of your rotation who neither are pitching like an ace. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's a, a huge problem, too. But I mean, I think even if you have a great defensive team, if you are reliant on balls in play, you know, once the ball goes off the bat, there's a lot of things that can happen, right? And your risk of bad things happening is higher than if you can get swing and miss. So, you know, I think I think like Michaelis is going to pitch better, right? Like he's been a really solid starter for his big league career. He's not going to end up. He didn't just fall off a cliff. He's going to be fine at some point. The you know Wainwright when he comes back, I think is really interesting to watch because his velocity was way down on the WBC, and he really had to rely on the curveball a lot more. And I think he's super smart, and so he's capable of making adjustments. But he's not going to be a guy that goes deep into games. You know, I mean, Matt's is Matt's. You know, like he's. He, you're going to see a run of six starts in a row where you're like, man, this guy's got it figured out, and then he's going to hit a rough patch. I mean, that's kind of the way it's been for his whole career. So you're putting a lot of faith in Jack Flaherty, I think specifically getting back to being the guy that he was a few years ago. And and I think, you know, listen, Jordan Montgomery is a fine starter, but I think you saw it last year, right? You saw both the good and the bad in, in Montgomery. He can get off to the, the these runs where he's really – pitching deep into games and executing pitches. And then because, again, he's not a big swing and miss guy, he's going to have stretches where he gets hit around a little bit. So 
I don't know. There's an awful lot riding on one guy in that rotation right now who you know has not pitched a lot over the last three seasons. And, you know, my hope is that Flaherty unlocked something with that slider against Seattle that allows him to be, be the guy that can be the stopper that they need. Mike, the Cardinals are dealing with a little bit of a log jam in the outfield, and as a way to alleviate that and get some guys' consistent playing time, they optioned Jordan Walker to Memphis yesterday. Do you think that that was the right move for the Cardinals? It, it struck me as odd. I mean, he hadn't been playing the last couple of days, right, and they were working on some things in the cage. And I, I just feel like if, you know, he's such a, a – he's viewed as this high-end impact player – and if you felt he was ready before he, you know, before the season started, getting to the end of April and not having him in the lineup every day, it probably wasn't the best use of that roster spot to open. You know, I, I mean, really, quite frankly, like I, I'm a little bit surprised. I mean, you, if you're putting Jordan Walker on the roster, it means you're going to let him try and figure things out. You know, at the big league level when he goes through funks, and it's, it's not like the funk that he's in was in was like massive. There were adjustments that he had to make, and he's going to have to make adjustments to get the big league pitching. Now, the defensive metrics, at least, weren't particularly high on him, and I'm kind of curious to see um, you know, how that goes because he is really still learning the position. But I was a little bit surprised, really, that that was the move that they made. Now, some of it could be they're trying to create flexibility. I don't know. Maybe maybe you look, Michelle, on, on, on what they have coming up, like, I would assume that part of this, they were thinking they had a run of right-handed starters that were coming, right? And so you want to get Newt Barr and, and Carlson and Burleson in the lineup as much as possible. And so maybe that was going to reduce the opportunities for plate appearances for Walker. Or maybe there were just some specific things that they felt like they unlocked that they were like, we didn't necessarily see this coming, but it's going to be a lot easier for him to work on them in AAA than it is in the big leagues in a lower-pressure environment. Remember, he's never play, he hadn't played a game in AAA they made the jump from double A. So I think there's, there were a couple things with it where I guess I understand why they made the move when they did, but if you're going to roster him to begin the season and he's you know, part of your future and part of the core of the middle of that lineup, I'm a little bit surprised that he didn't get the opportunity to just continue to play through it uh, through the month of May. But you know, I'm, I want to try and be fair to them on this because there may have been things that they just felt like, weren't going to get better here and needed to be done out of the spotlight of the major leagues where it can be really, really tough. We got a couple more minutes with Mike Farron, uh, MLB Network radio host with us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Mike, you've been around Major League Baseball for a long time, and as you would imagine, when things go poorly for a team, the fall guy from the fan base goes directly to the manager or the coach, and that's what it's been at least in the last week with Cardinals fans looking at Ali Marmol and saying, like, well, he's not managing properly. From your perspective, how has Ali been as a manager? Um, I don't really have a good answer for that. I mean, I think there have been some some bullpen decisions that he's made. You know, especially I, mean, I go back to the playoffs last year, and then again early this season, there was a key spot where he was kind of wish casting for double play, where he went to Andre Palente. You know, when he really needed a strikeout, um, those are kind of the ones that stick out for managerial moves. But I don't think that those are egregious mistakes. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's a really difficult question, I think, for any of us from the outside to answer because we're not around the club every day. Like, you know, I'm not locked in on every inning of Cardinal baseball to know exactly what the bullpen moves are and, and how, you know, he's juggling the lineup or handling the lineup. And 
Not to mention, I think the vast majority of that job is keeping your, getting your players prepared to play on a given night and keeping them in the right frame of mind. I mean, I, I would say that 90% of the job is soft science as opposed to, to hard science decision-making. In the end, you're dealing with really talented players who, you know, are going to, to you know, make, their, make or break their success. But, you know, listen, the, the Cardinals have had plenty of scapegoats over the last half dozen years, right? Like Jeff Albert was the, <laughs> was the poster boy for that for a long time. Well, he's gone now, and the offense is inconsistent, right? So maybe it's more the personnel and less the coaching, right? And that's, and that's something – it's way too early to figure that out. Like, we, we only have 25 games into the season. Like, we're a quarter we're, – we're an eighth of the way through it, right? There's still a ton of time left. And, well, 100 plate appearances is a nothing – it just doesn't really tell us a whole lot about where guys are or 25 innings for a pitcher. Like one bad inning, they can train wreck your line or one bad outing or two bad outings. So I just don't think that there's, I, I don't know that I have a good answer for you as to whether or not Ali Marmol is a good manager. Um, I can't tell you either way. My sense is that he's a pretty sharp baseball guy in a couple of dealings that I've had with him, but you know, again, it's just a matter of what that, you know, what the feeling is in that clubhouse and how they feel about him and how he helps to get guys prepared. And clearly, you know, the Cardinals have had that as a, as, as a mindset when they made that change. They were not happy with the way the, pre- the preparation went under Mike Schilt. He wasn't the same on the same page as the front office. Whether or not that was the right decision or not, I guess, you know, the, the only time will tell, but you know, they won the division last year, so I don't think he got dumb overnight. Either, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, last thing from me, Mike. We, as Cardinals fans, tend to live in a silo sometimes and only focus on our own team. Since you cover the uh, baseball as a whole, so far this season, early observations from you. What teams have intrigued you or surprised you so far? Well, I mean, I think the biggest surprise has to be Pittsburgh, right? Like, the fact that they're off to the start they are is really cool. Um, I don't know how uh, sustainable their success is, um, although their starting pitching has been very, very good. And after a rough pitch, first inning today, like Mitch Keller has settled in and is holding the Dodgers at bay. I mean, they've got a legitimate chance to win this series against L.A. And really, I mean, they should have won Monday night's game, too. Their bullpen's been pretty solid as Pittsburgh. But they, have, you know, they have not, um, you know, they've not given up a ton of runs. But they, they really struggled in that, that outing. Uh, on Monday night. So, like, I think Pittsburgh's one of the big surprises. I think um, the White Sox being off to as poor a start as they are, I mean, it's their worst start since 1986. I think that's one of the teams that I would say is a pretty significant surprise uh, right now. And then I think Tampa Bay. I mean, you know, they're, what, 20-5 and now after dropping a home series to the Astros. But, you know, that's a good team. I don't know that we saw them winning 20 out of 25 to open the year. Um, but having a healthy Wander Franco, he's a real impact player. Um, I mean, one of he's going to be one of the ten best players in the league by the end of the season. It's if he's not already. I mean, he's really special. Um, Randy Rosarena has been terrific for them, and they have a stable of really impressive arms there. So. I would put those as the teams that have maybe been the biggest surprises to this point. Mike, we always love getting the chance to catch up with you and talk baseball, my friend. Uh, check him out on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron. You can hear him on MLB Network Radio. Always appreciate the time, sir. Enjoy the uh, next few weeks of baseball, and hopefully we'll catch up with you again real soon. My pleasure. And just remember, it's still early. <laughs> <laughs>
Like it's still early. We Everybody tr- just needs to take a deep breath. I realize this hasn't happened in 50 years, but it's cool. There's a long way to go. We try and keep reminding them that, Mike, but man, should you see the text lines that we see every day. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. He's All Mike right. Farron. Uh, appreciate him joining us here on uh, 101 ESPN. And uh, Smalls, what he said there at the end, you take a deep breath, which I know is hard for Cardinals fans to uh, do when you're sitting at the bottom of the NL Central but uh, I think he gave good perspective just in terms of where this offense is at, his concern being on the pitching staff and also the decision with Jordan Walker. Yes, great perspective from Mike. He is correct. We all probably should relax a little bit, but that's not going to happen. No, of course that's not. That's not going to you happen. You took your hoop earrings out, Ms. Smalls. We don't relax at this time of the year. The hoops are out. The hoops are out. And will the offense come around? Yes, or at least I certainly hope so. Will the defense have the errors that we've seen as of late? Probably not. I just don't know about the pitching. Yeah, that's the part that I'm not too sure about. But uh, if you want to get even more fired up, uh, we will unveil the lineup for this afternoon's game because apparently it is out. T-Bone has given me the thumbs up that we are a go. So the lineup game comes your way next on BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, man, Smalls, even when the day's going poorly, when the Cardinals are in the midst of a three-game losing streak, that sounder gets you pumped up, doesn't it? This is the most fun we're going to have talking about the Cardinals all day. <laughs> I actually 100% agree with that until about five <laughs> seconds from now when we find out that Taylor Motter is going to be in the lineup and then both you and I unload. Oh, don't even put that out there. So let's just hope Tanner doesn't uh, get us that upset. But alongside Michelle Smallman, I'm Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson as well. Cardinals in action this afternoon to wrap up this four-game set against the Giants. Try to avoid the sweep. So let's see if the Cardinals put together a winner for the lineup game. So Smalls, I got to be upfront with this. BK ruined it for us because he did text Tanner and I and said Paul DeYoung's in the lineup. So I'm just going to throw that out up front because I know that. But where is Paul E.D.? That's the biggest question. (laughs) So let's start from the top, Smalls. Logan Webb is on the mound for the Giants. You got a righty. That's a loss. I would imagine this is a lefty heavy lineup. I'm going to say Lars Nupar starts this one off for us. Where are you at in terms of the leadoff? I'm with you. Give me Newt uh, to to lead off the lineup game. Newt the game for us, T-Bone. Oh, yeah. So, this is where it all unravels for me. Because, 
You're done after number one. Yeah, I'm one. done after one. Because <laughs> Ollie has done the Goldie Arenado 3-4. Ollie's done the Goldie at two and Arenado at four and Gorman in the middle. Mm-hmm. I would imagine Alec Burleson is playing. So which way do you want to lean, Smalls? Do you want to lean Goldie at two or well, somebody we saw, else? We saw Goldie in the two-hole last night, right? And Gorman... In the, in the three hole. Yeah. So. And Goldie hits two home runs. So. Yes. That's what I was going to say. I wouldn't mess with what worked last night. I would stick with Goldie in the two hole. All right. Goldie at the two hole. T-Bone. Show it. I love gold. Oh, Smalls and I. Two for two. Just like Paul Goldschmidt's first two home runs. Number three. If they're going this route, this is Nolan Gorman. Yes, I agree. Nolan Gorman at three. T-Bone. You hit the nail on the head. Thank you, Janet. Lover. So Nolan Arenado had himself a rough game last night. But I cannot believe that Nolan Arenado is going to be out of the lineup again. So I'm going to say Arenado's at four. Yeah, give, give me Nolan at four. You can't take him out of no, the lineup. No, no. And he's not going to hit lower than that. Tanner's got this awful smirk on his face. Tanner, show me Nolan Arenado. Let's go. Oh, yes, okay. You, got, you made me nervous with the look. Uh, he, he had this like look on his face that did not bode well for us. And by the way, we're four for four. It's all going to go yeah. downhill from here. <laughs> I was worried it too. It's going to get real <laughs> ugly from here. Do, do you go Alec Burleson here? I mean, he had a rough night in the outfield. Do you want to put him back out there? Well, I imagine for game set day game that Wilson Contreras will be getting a spell, correct? I, I, that's what I, where I would go. Yeah, so I, that would leave um, him not in the five hole. Yeah, um, I don't think you're going to hit him DH. I believe you're going to give him the full day off, right? Well, we had Gorman, right? At DH? Oh, yeah, Gorman, unless Gorman's playing second base. Well, I just assumed he was the DH. Yeah, I we're going to say he's the DH. Okay, okay, so let's go into that sense that Contreras is, is not in this. Okay. Um, ooh. So... I don't know if you stick with Burleson, but they are preaching consistency. Yeah. And Carlson, by the way, is hitting 182 against righties. So. Okay. I was just going to well, ask the numbers. Okay, trying to so, stay away from that one. Um, but Pauly D has been making an impact in, in games. Do we put Pauly D at five? Oh, my God. If Pauly D is at five. I don't know. What do you think? Alex, I will follow your lead here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. If this is a lefty-heavy lineup, I think you're gonna go Alec Burleson in this spot at number five. So, Tanner, show me Alec Burleson. Oh, Burley, you're so rugged and uh, manly. That uh, made me nervous, there, Smalls. Is that Marge Simpson? That is Marge yeah. Simpson, right? <laughs> Amazing. We've had a lot of Simpson references over the last couple of days. T-Bone tweeted, or uh, BK tweeted out last night that he was going on vacation, and I used the uh, the gif of the Simpsons character, I'm in danger, <laughs> which luckily the, the text on has been good to us so far. So we got one through five locked in, Smalls. Who you got at number six? Who you thinking at number six? Mm, well, okay, so we have Burleson already. Maybe Tyler O'Neill. Give me O'Neill. That's what I'm thinking O'Neill, okay. too. Show us O'Neill at number six, T-Bone. You're wrong. Damn. Is this Carlson? This can't be Carlson. He's hitting 182 against righties. Maybe this is DeYoung, Smalls. Maybe this is your spot for, for Paul E.D. Okay, let's go Paul E.D. Let's go Paul E.D. here. here. <laughs> the king has returned. Oh. Wait, yes. that's the drop for Paul E.D.? Yeah, the king. Good God, The king man. has returned. Can I get a, um, an explanation on that one? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need I, a... Uh, I would have to talk to Marsh because um, uh, okay. he's not the king. Yeah, I'm going to have yeah, to get I'm a... just wondering what the origin story is of that drop. So we're all thinking the same thing at number uh, seven, right? It's Taylor Motter. 
<laughs> no, I, I think this is going to be Tyler. I mean, your outfield right now is Lars Newbar and Alec Burleson. Yeah, Unle- it's O'Neal. Unless you're putting Brendan Donovan in the outfield, I'm going to say it's Tyler O'Neill. So let's go T-O-N. Buddy, stand up. Remove your hat. But you cut the anthem off early, man. It's kind of a long draw. Oh, okay. Okay, so we all agree Kisner's in the lineup here. Smalls, Kisner at eight. Yeah, Edmund's going to be at nine, so let's slot double, Kisner in at eight. Double shoe it. Tommy Edmund at number nine. But right now, I'm going to need you, Tommy boy, to get this place going. Smalls, we got one wrong. One wrong. That's a solid day. T-Bone, run it. Here's today's lineup. Leading off, Lars Newtbar in center field, then Paul Goldschmidt at first. Nolan Gorman's the DH batting third in cleanup. Nolan Arnato at third batting fifth. Alec Burleson in right sixth. Polly D, the king, is at shortstop. Tyler O'Neill, everybody's favorite Canadian, is seventh in the left. And Andrew Kisner bats eighth catcher in ninth. Tommy Edmond at second with Miles Michaelis on the mound. What's your confidence level, 1 to 10, guys, on the lineup that T-Bone just so beautifully read to us? Not good. I, I mean, I guess I can't be too upset about it. I mean, it is the getaway day, but like, that's this. That's the, what the third straight game that Paul DeYoung has been shortstop for you. Uh, some two or three, I can't remember. But he's been in the lineup a lot recently. I, I'm starting to wonder. I can't believe we're here. If Paul <laughs> DeYoung is going to get an extended look at maybe not maybe not shortstop, but at returned. least in the lineup. I mean, I guess you can't be too upset with this one, Smalls, because Brennan Donovan, as I mentioned earlier, two for 13 in his last five games. So he has not been hitting. Dylan Carlson is hitting 182 against righties. He shouldn't be in the lineup unless you want to get an extended look at him. And you're not going to be playing Taylor Motter. I'm glad they're not playing Taylor Motter. So frankly, for what they have on their roster right now, this is the best option that they've got. And. Paulie D's been making an impact in yes. games since he's returned. So I, I have no issue with that. But I just, as we <laughs> as we read the names off, it doesn't really ignite any sort of enthusiasm in me. No, it and really I know doesn't. that I, it should. I mean, you got Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, worldwide sensation, Lars Newbar. I should be more excited about this, but I'm just not. You know where I think the excitement dwindles is that five, six, seven spot. And Mm -hmm. some of this is because it is the getaway day because Contreras is not playing. If Contreras was in there, I think we'd probably be a little bit more okay with it. Burleson's not a bad option there, although Burleson has not been hitting very well lately either. He's had to resort to the bunt, which is never a good sign. Never a good sign. And you're putting him in back and right field, which did not look pretty last night. But uh, But maybe that's a a way to shake it off. Maybe. I mean, the skepticism we have of Paul DeYoung and then the struggles of Tyler O'Neill. I mean, right now, you're back to what your lineup was last season, where you felt good one through four, five, six, seven, eight is where the concern truly was for you. And frankly, that's kind of what this lineup is. But I hate to be the bearer of bad news for Cardinals fans. This is what you're going to have now, other than when Contreras is in the lineup with Jordan Walker down. Your bench is strictly what you have on this roster right now. There was some... um... Gosh, I don't even know the exact word to use to describe it, but even when Jordan Walker was struggling at the plate and the defense wasn't where you wanted to be, it to be, there was still a lot of hope with him as a player. The ceiling is so high. Yeah. He's he got off to an historic start, 
And I, the lineup just felt a little better with his name in it, even if the numbers weren't there, you know? The excitement was there. I, I yeah. mean, you're talking about a top prospect in baseball, even if he's going through an O for whatever skid. I know BK sent us a tweet from that Foul Territory podcast, and I forgot who said it, but uh, one of the former players said, I w- AJ Przinsky. It was AJ Przinsky said, I went O for 31 before, and I wasn't sent down to the minors because mm-hmm. of that. So that was the excitement factor in it, that even though he was struggling, you still saw the potential there and frankly you know the bigger thing with me too smalls was this season I felt the difference for the Cardinals offense and why we were so high on it was because your bench was so dominant the last Mm -hmm. few seasons your bench has been questionable now you're back to that territory you don't have Jordan Walker and Alec Burleson sitting on the bench for you you've got Taylor Motter sitting on the bench and Brennan Donovan sitting on the bench like that's the issue and probably why the excitement has dwindled a little bit, because if it's not the guys performing in the starting nine, there's not a lot of hope beyond that. And it felt like we were talking about the depth being such a strength. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's so I know that it is. What is it? April 27th. Mm-hmm. And we need to relax. But man, <laughs> how the turntables have turned. Boy, how the, the turntables <laughs> have turned of Michael Scott. This is why the T-Ravs work so well together. <laughs> She's Michelle Smallman. I'm Alex Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson with you as well. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> the king has returned. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Michelle Smallman to Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Michelle in for BK today. He's uh, out in Kansas City for the NFL draft. We've got some NFL prop bets for the draft coming up at 1.30. But now we get into the junk drawer. And uh, guys, I found the perfect way to combat parents going off on officials at games. Oh, okay. So this took place in New Jersey. I saw this. And it's, uh, it was at a Little League game. And as we all know, you know, some parents at Little League games get a little too into the action and start yelling at the officials. Uh, so these parents in New Jersey were shouting at referees at a youth baseball game. And essentially what they did is they took those parents and they told them, fine, you're going to umpire the rest of this Little League game. And that was the punishment for them in terms of shouting at these officials. And I love everything about the decision to do that. Because not only does it affect those guys yelling at the officials, but it also affects everyone else in the crowd to get a little bit more perspective at that Little League game. And so the parents did it. Yeah, parents went into the game and they suited up and did it for the rest of that that game that they were at. And what was the outcome? Did they apologize? Did they say, hey, this job is harder than it looks? Yeah, they basically apologized afterwards and it turned into somewhat of a... It it turned into everyone else feeling uncomfortable, but it turned into those parents approaching them afterwards and basically apologizing for the incident that they created at that Little League game. Like, that's the most genius way to do it. Like, you can kick people out as much as you want. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that sends the right message instead of like actually putting them and saying, fine, you do it. You think this is so easy? You go ahead and suit up and stand in on this one. You know, we could all use that perspective. Oh my God, yeah. Are it's you kidding so me? It's so easy to criticize from the cheap seats. It's harder when you're in the arena. 
And I, that's in every profession and every walk of life. I, I hate officiating because I've done it before. It is so tough. So that's why, like, anytime there is something that comes up, I always hate when we have to have the conversation of, oh, the refs, did they blow the game? I hate that because I've done the smallest of small. I've just done, like, the Little League baseball uh, back home. And not only is it tough because, one, you got screaming parents. Two, even even at Little League action, there are bang-bang plays. And three, I've been behind the plate and taken a foul ball off a mask while I'm umpiring, and that's not a fun feeling. So I feel bad for every umpire that does it, and I appreciate all of them that are able to do it. So the officials involved with it now, they've they've come up with an idea to to combat this problem and so basically the the solution that they're talking about is if a parent or another spectator fights with the umpire they have to volunteer to officiate at least three upcoming games so if you get into a argument Hmm. with the officials you are forced to volunteer for at least three more games Ooh, I love that because nobody's going to want to do that. No, like you're going to hear crickets yep. at those things. I, I've had the conversation. Look, my daughters are two and nine months. So like they're nowhere near. Say, my question is, Michelle, what are you, is Ferrario that dad? Is Ferrario going to be the dad that's on the officials? Um, I yes, say yes. He's Italian. <laughs> yes. He can't help himself. We are loud. Oh, there's going to be hands flying. There's going to be, it, it won't be above, it won't be like, uh, rude or any, it'll be, uh, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> well, See, on. You know, it won't be like a personal attack by any means, but I imagine we're going to hear a couple hey's from Alex Ferrario. <laughs> I will never forget my, my dad when he used to come to my basketball games when I was in grade school. Like, he was never the loud, obnoxious parent, but I would always look over during games and see him, and he'd be the guy who would have his hands over his face. He'd be the guy who would look down in his lap, and he would just start like talking into his hands because like he would try and keep it as quiet as possible. That that is my worry with my wife. I told her I said I do get intense. Like I don't want to be that guy, but like you know, you're going to be intense for your kids. So it's like I'm going to have to go do like those laps around the field or something mm-hmm. while they're playing in sports because but you also don't want to be the embarrassing dad that's doing that for those just, kids. Just don't don't be the dad cuz I hated it when I had I won't say the parent cuz last time I mentioned the parent, they texted me and were upset. Ooh. Uh Don't be the parent that says, you can do it, honey. Come on. We don't need to hear that when we're on. Okay. I I had a parent do that where it was always like, come on, you can make this free throw. Well, no kidding. Why do you think I'm here? Bugs me. I used it, to get me the pre- wrong way. I'd feel bad for either one of your daughters if that ends up happening. I used to get pressure on that, and they'd be like, "You can do this." I'm like, "No, I probably can't." So thanks for pointing that out in front of everybody. <laughs> and then you throw up an air ball. Oh, there's no recovery. <laughs> really from appreciate that. that one, Dad. Somebody texted and said, "What happens if they don't do it?" Well, then, at least from what I'm understanding, the kids aren't allowed to play yeah. in that little league session anymore. Oh. Mm. Yeah, so you don't want to impact your kids yeah. negatively. So you're basically screwing over your kids if you're being interactive with the umpires and then not volunteering for it. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be as the kid if your coach comes up to you in front of the team and is like, hey, you can't suit up tonight because your dad got into it with the refs and he, he, or with the umps, and he's supposed to fill in and he won't do it. How embarrassing. Don't uh, embarrass your kids like that. Yeah, PSA from uh, Smalls and Tanner and Ferrario. Don't embarrass your kids. Just let them go out there and have fun, and hopefully I won't be the recipient (laughs) of that PSA in about five years. (laughs) She's Michelle Smallman. I'm Alex Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson with you. When we come back, the Cardinals going to have to get their two superstars going consistently. But is that all it's going to take to put us in a positive mindset? We'll discuss next here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Whacked deep toward left at the track at the wall. Goldie does it again. Solo home run, and the Cardinals strike first here in the first. And he shoots another one to deep center field. Back goes Slater. Track wall making two for Paul Goldschmidt. He's heating up, folks. And in the nick of time for the Cardinals, Paul Goldschmidt, in his last three at bats, has homered twice, singled once, and he's driven home four runs. Well, he uh, he basically put the Cardinals on his shoulders last night and said, I'll carry you, boys. And unfortunately, an off day. His back's got to be sore. <laughs> unfortunately, he only could carry him until Lars Nupar and Alec Burleson had the miscommunication. And then things kind of fell south. By the way, there was no uh, grounded into the double play, Paul Goldschmidt. Highlight yeah, on the back end of that one. He had four hits last night. What do you <laughs> no, want me to do? You're absolutely right. Look, Paul Goldschmidt was their best player last night. Four for five, two home runs, had a double, two runs, 762 slug, and an 1,100 OPS. The problem is, and the reason we're talking about this, is his previous five games, Michelle, was eight for 21, 380 batting average, two home runs. That's been really good. Nolan Arenado looks a little bit more lost at the plate. 0 for 4 with two strikeouts last night. And in his last 10 games, a 125 batting average, only one extra base hit, and 14 strikeouts. As much as we talk about this team's struggles and how they got to get better with runners in scoring position and how they have to improve in certain areas, really, you have to start with your two superstars. It's what plagued them in the postseason last year in that wildcard series. You lost two guys who were performing like MVPs in the most pivotal time. And right now, when you're in the midst of one of your worst stretches this season, you're going to look to those two players first. Absolutely. it's It starts with those two, right? They have to be the leaders that step up and get the job done. And they hope that everyone else follows behind them. Paul Goldschmidt did it last night, but if it only took two players, guys, to win, the Angels would win the World Series every year because they have Amen Trout and Otani. It, it is so much more than just those two guys. Do they need to be the first ones in line to set the tone? A hundred percent. But they don't have anything to do with the outfield carousel that we're seeing. They don't have anything to do with the pitching. The defensive errors last night weren't their problems. You know, So, yes, I expect more from them especially Nolan Arenado right now offensively, and I would love to see them clicking at the same time, not only because of the production, but because I think it would infuse some hope and excitement to see those two guys get really hot. But it's it's so much more than just Goldie and Arenado. Well, and see, that's where my stance is, and I said this yesterday with BK and Tanner when we were talking about getting those two guys going, and look, it's great to see Paul Goldschmidt hit those home runs and go four for five yesterday, but that's not all that matters. You... As much as you want those two players to perform, if they're the only guys doing it, well, then that lets lets everybody else off of the hook and feel like, well, they'll carry us here. And when they struggle, you've got no safety net. Like, I look at an Atlanta Braves team who's one of the best right now in the National League. Like, Ozzy Albies is okay for them right now. Marcelo Zuna is not even hitting for them right now, and he was one of their impactful bats. Austin Riley's got five home runs, but he's also hitting 266 with 30 strikeouts. But you know why they're thriving? Because Orlando Arcia's hitting, Travis Darno's hitting, Ronald Acuna's hitting. And when one of those guys falter, guess who steps up? The Matt Olsons, the mm-hmm. Ozzie Albies. 
you've got to have the safety net throughout your roster. And that's what we thought this season was going to provide. But if you look from start to finish, it started off Paul Goldschmidt. And it started off Nolan Arenado. And then it trickled to Nolan Gorman. And then it trickled to Wilson Contreras. And then it trickled to Alec Burleson. But the problem was it was only one guy at the time. And then everyone else was like, well, we got to figure out how to get us going. Yeah, you see everybody kind of pressing when Goldie and Arnado aren't hitting. And, and honestly, Arnado's pressing right now. And you, you can just tell because oh, yeah. he, he is really struggling he's against the slider. You could tell. Yeah, he's really struggling against the slider this season. His whiff rate was really high when I looked at it this morning. I think it was around 35% against sliders so far this year. I, I, I do think, and, and I think Michelle kind of said this perfectly, there is going to be kind of a calming effect across this lineup though I they these two guys they can't carry the team even though when they get hot uh they're not gonna be the guys that you look at and go yeah we can now win a ton of baseball games because Goldie and Arnado are playing well but I do think there's kind of a a weight lifted from the rest of the lineup where it's okay those guys are cold now we have to really step up we have to be the reason this team's winning because we got to carry Goldie and Arnado no it's going to be okay they're doing our thing now I can go do my thing and, and I, I think that's going to be the most important part when these guys get right and they will get right I think Goldie's already starting to come out of his dry spell I mean last night he looked great I think Arnado will get there now it is alarming that this is the worst first month of Arnado's career that he's yeah. had, which is he's uh, at a 662 OPS. But you know what old Arnado, he, he's going to turn this around. When he gets hot, he's going to get hot, and it's not going to be just for a week. It's going to be for months. So I, I'm not worried about these guys. But once they start hitting, I do think you're going to see kind of that calming, relaxing effect go across the rest of the lineup. Yeah, we're talking about the National League MVP, a guy who's in the MVP discussion, guaranteed Hall of Famer, right? But I do wonder, guys, how much pressure these two feel to carry the team and to have team success because the gold gloves are nice, the the MVP is nice, but both of these guys came to St. Louis because they want to win a World Series. They could have stayed where they were and had individual success. They want to have team success. And I always read the Cardinals magazine. It's they they put out great content. There's great articles in there. Mm-hmm. And the first issue of the 2023 season, I just looked it up so I got it correct. You have Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado on the cover and it says, "Let's put a ring on it." Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt are done being baseball's bridesmaids. That's on the cover of the Cardinals magazine. And the entire article is about how they want to win a World Series. And I know that they haven't had the postseason success in St. Louis that they've expected of themselves or what the city and the organization has expected of themselves. And I just wonder when they go into the season, knowing that they're on the cover of the magazine saying we're done being the bridesmaids, we're going to be the bride. And then they get up to this type of start, how that impacts them from a pressure standpoint. I I think it's a really good point because I, I was in the locker room on the final game when they got eliminated by the Philadelphia Phillies. And Nolan Arnato and Paul Goldschmidt, we know their Septembers were not great and both did not hit in the postseason. They looked like they saw a ghost. They, they, I mean, Paul Gold, I've never seen Paul Goldschmidt with the look he had in the locker room after that second loss to the Philadelphia Phillies that eliminated them. And, and to Michelle's point, then you start building the pressure of not only on the team of the Cardinals, it's been, what, 12 years since they've won a World Series back in 2011. Also, if you're Paul Goldschmidt, you're getting up there in age and you haven't won a World Series. If you're Nolan Arenado, he's not as old as Paul Goldschmidt, but there's got to be that question creeping into the back of your mind. Am I going to get my ring? Am I going to get a World Series championship? And that's what everybody talks about nowadays in sports. How many rings do you have? It's not mm-hmm. the accolades in the regular season. Absolutely. It's how many rings do you have? And when you go to this really cold start that they have gotten off to, and they now they performed well in the WBC, but that's a different tournament. When you get off to this cold of a start, you really start to feel that pressure that is building, and especially when everybody else around you, to Alex's point, 
isn't hitting alongside you. It's just one guy, and you're off to this slow start, and everybody's going to point to them. Well, why is the offense not playing well? Nobody talks about the seven guys not hitting around them in the lineup. Everybody just goes straight to Goldie and Arenado. So I, I think they really have felt the pressure this year, and especially uh, Nolan Arenado, because this is the worst month he's had, and I've started to see a lot of people on social media saying, oh, is this the end for Nolan Arenado? No, he's going to get it right. He's just feeling immense pressure right now to do so, and especially as we've been talking about this, as this thing starts to continue to snowball, the only way offense is going to break out of it is if he starts hitting. Can I throw another log on this fire? Please. It's it's already lit. It's not going out. It's already burning. Yachty and Albert are gone. It's officially their team. Yeah. Even though they were, I mean, Goldie, uh, I'll say it again, was the National League MVP last year. We know the clout that somebody like Nolan Arenado carries. Yachty was the leader of this team alongside Adam Wainwright. And then you bring back Albert Pujols, Nolan Arenado's favorite player and a Cardinal slash baseball legend. And even though they, they carried a certain amount of weight in the clubhouse, the leadership duties fell on the shoulders of those three guys last year. And now that they're gone, these two guys have firmly assumed their roles at the top of the pyramid when it comes to this clubhouse. And so you, you combine all of that with the start that they're off. When, when they officially have taken the reins, I can only imagine the sort of self-pressure that these guys are putting on themselves. Well, and I'm so glad you guys said that because I was thinking to when we interviewed Clint Hurdle last week and I asked him about the leadership for this Cardinals team. And he said, look, if you lose two players that are leaders in your in your clubhouse and you struggle with leadership, well, then they weren't that good of leaders because they should have set the tone for a clubhouse that even when they're gone, it's going to be successful. And and it stuck out to me because, look, when you lose two impactful players, it's going to take a massive toll on your team because despite what any of us believe, like there was a little bit of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt being able to do what they are doing without being in the spotlight because it was Yachty's final year and Albert's final year and you wondered about Adam Wainwright. And this year it's, Okay, those guys are gone. Now it's you. And not to not to be this guy, but you always go back to the Blues comp. Like this to me is what happened in that 2019 Cup season where, you know, all of the pressure was Alex Petrangelo and Alexander Steen and these were the core players and Ryan O'Reilly could go about his business. And we mm-hmm. all remember the first year that Alex Petrangelo was gone, Ryan O'Reilly struggled. And Ryan O'Reilly talked about the pressure he felt on himself being a captain that lost that type of player. Look at this season with Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas when Ryan O'Reilly and them left. This is your team now, fellas, and you've got to figure out how to handle that. And this also leads me to a comment that Kerry Davis had earlier today on the opening drive, and it ties into the Cardinals. I don't know who this team is. I don't know what this team is. I don't know who's going to be batting where. I don't know if 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 Nolan Gorman is going to be batting third or if he's going to be batting sixth or seventh. I don't know. And 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 if I don't know, I'm, they probably don't know either. It's an identity crisis, Smalls. And last year, the identity was last ride. Let's go win a World Series for Yachty mm-hmm. and uh, Pujols. And then two years ago, it was, oh, it's the first year of Nolan Arenado on this team. And then the year before that, it was the youth of Dylan Carlson. You you might not have an identity right now, and that's going to have to be something that they're going to have to sort out sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you're just going to keep doing this insanity vicious cycle. Yeah, I hope that they can find that identity soon because it's been a brutal product to watch. And luckily, um, you're last in the NL Central, so I would say your identity should be underdog. So no pressure. No oh, pressure oh, at all. Well, yeah. Yeah, underdog. Underdog. <laughs> Who thought we? Who had that on their bingo card for this well, year? Well, you got to chase down the juggernaut that is the Pittsburgh Pirates, Smalls. 
Uh, and the Reds. Who, who thought the Reds would have a better record than the Cardinals on April 27th? Believe it or not, the Cardinals will be underdogs for the rest of this season. Don't answer it! We'll hit it with Believe It or Not next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. All right, I won't butcher it this time. I butchered this last week, Superman. I'm staying away from it. We're all just going to enjoy it and sing with T-Bone. Okay. When I get to put my hair down. Oh, yeah. Let's go, baby. Like Potter. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and oh, a yeah. prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Nailed it. Second time we've been happy on this show today. Wow. With the exception of I love Thursdays. The lineup game. Yeah. That was a full bop. Yeah. I've got my lighter going. Shout out to the vocals on T-Bone there. Right? We tell him all the time. He's got a mixture between Fergie and Jesus. Yeah, that's Smalls. right. I, I practice on karaoke nights. <laughs> you you got to bounce around. Make sure you get the vocals warming. He's got a karaoke bar across the street and, from his apartment complex, and T-Bone's just sitting in his room singing along and, to everything. And when I sing, I see people go, that sounds familiar. But I, I don't give away my secret identity as Tanner Hendrickson. Smalls, you were just at uh, Coachella, right? Uh, let's not talk about it. Headlining next year. <laughs> Tanner Hendrickson. Yeah, I'm the opener. He would be better than Frank Ocean, tell you that. <laughs> That's good. Well, it is Believe It or Not time. If you've got a Believe It or Not scenario, you can text it to us, 314-399-9646. That voice you heard, Michelle Smallman in for BK, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's start with this one. Believe it or not, by the end of May, the Cardinals will be top two in the NL Central. By the by, the beginning of May. By the end of May. Excuse me. By the end of May. Yeah. No, beginning of May. I top don't think two? is even possible. Yeah, top two. I don't believe it. Okay. Talk about lowering our expectations when, we, when say, we say top two in the NL Central. Goodness. I. Hell, Schilt told me I gotta. I'm gonna live longer if I'm optimistic. Yeah, I believe it. How'd that work out for him? He's still alive. <laughs> well, 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 that's true. He is. Yeah, he's just. In, he's actually might be living his best he life. Is living his he's best away life. from this team, and he's in yeah. San Diego. <laughs> he's chilling. He, yeah. he's thriving. Actually, <laughs> and he's not in charge. He's got no pressure yeah, on that's him. That's true. He's just coaching third base. Yeah, just waving yeah. that arm around. I, I'll believe it. I, I think they turn this around in May. The schedule does get easier in May. I, I do think they will be better. Now, are they going to go on just an absolute torrid tear and end up getting past everybody and jumping into first place? I'm going to say no, but I don't think the Cubs or Pirates keep up the pace that they're on in the month of May. I say the Cardinals catch both them and and leapfrog the Reds, but that should happen anyway. I, I'm, get top two. I, I'm not believing this. I, 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 I think you could catch the Reds. You should catch the Reds. I, the Cubs, I mean, even Mike Farron told us, like, they've got guys who have swing and miss stuff right now, and, of course, they've got individuals who are hitting the hell out of the ball. I, I don't think they, I don't think they crack top three. I think you're probably looking at Pirates, Brewers, Cubs in the top three, and you're chasing those three still by the end of May. So I'm not believing this. Uh, Smalls, what do you got for us on Believe It or Not? How depressing is that? I know. Though? I'm so God. that that we had a great song, and then I just ruined it. You suck, man. <laughs> 
Boo, you suck. <laughs> From the rafters. From Tanner. Top row. Boom. You suck, man. You suck, That should be man. a drop. You suck, man. Don't worry. It probably will be. <laughs> I love that. Okay, guys. NFL draft tonight. Yeah. Believe it or not, three quarterbacks will be drafted in the top four spots. I like this one. Three quarterbacks in the top four spots. And I'm not saying that those teams remain in those that's, spots. That's what I was thinking. So I, I believe the Tennessee Titans are going to trade up into it to draft one of C.J. Stroud or Will Levis. The Colts are taking one. And then the Carolina Panthers are going. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to believe this one, that there will be three quarterbacks taken in the top four. And Houston will be the odd duckling that decides to take a defensive <laughs> player. I... Uh... I believe that should happen, but I'm not going to believe it does happen because mm. I agree with what you just said. I don't think the Texans do it. The Cardinals are so poorly run, too, that I, I could see where they end up. Um, we, we didn't play the cut, but I grabbed it uh, when we had it at NFL Quick Hitters. Adam Schefter said, don't be shocked if they make a surprise pick and take an offensive tackle at three. So, like, I think the Cardinals don't end up trading out. I think there's only two quarterbacks that go in the top four, the Colts and Panthers. I think the Bears, or excuse me, the Cardinals and the Texans end up keeping those picks and not drafting a quarterback. That's where I'm at with that. Well, they said that the the most talent-rich positions in, dra- in this draft were quarterback, offensive tackle, and corner. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see an offensive lineman go at that three spot. Yeah, well, and it's been reported that the Steelers and the Bears are like heavily in on those offensive tackles. And yeah. obviously, I think they're at 8-9. So somebody wants an offensive tackle, you're going to have to get in front of those two teams. Guys, I, I saw yesterday, looking this up at the NFL draft, there was only one pro bowler from the first round last year, and that was uh, Sauce Gardner, the corner with the Jets. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, this is for me and Michelle as Illini fans, Devon Witherspoon will be a all or will be a pro bowler after his rookie year, depending don't matter where he goes, but will be a pro bowler. Oh, I believe it. I, I spent this morning, guys, drinking my coffee, watching Witherspoon highlights. Oh. So, <laughs> so he's top of mind today. Smart. I, I'm going to believe this one, too. I, I think he goes. Uh, I've seen a lot of mocks that t- have him going to Detroit, and I'm still like in the belief of CJ Stroud to Detroit if it gets to that point. But if not, if they take him, that's a good spot to be in because didn't Detroit, um, they signed the Philadelphia Eagles cornerback, correct? Um, um, what's his face? That was the free agent. I completely forgot on his name right now, but Detroit signed the uh, the veteran cornerback. So I'm going to believe this one. I think he's going to be in good company with that defense going into next season, and he's going to be in a good spot to uh, have success. So I'm going to believe this one also. I'm going to believe it because, I mean, he's just an absolute freaking stud. Uh, he, <laughs> he is. He's, he's a stud. Take your fan hat off, guys. I is he take, a stud? I did take my fan he's hat a stud. off. He's unbelievable. I, I think he goes to Detroit. I, I do think he's going to end up going six. Um, I, I think he'd make a ton of sense with Seattle. I know Seattle's connected to Carter, but, man, you want to talk about having potentially a Legion of Boom 2.0, having him at corner, taking up the role of what Sherman was. They've already brought one member back in Bobby Wagner. I, I think he goes to Seattle or Detroit. I'm leaning Detroit, and I think he's going to be a pro bowler. I, I think he's that good. I think he's going to be one of the very few that could end up being pro bowlers drafted in the first round this year. I like Can that you? one. Can you imagine what Dan Campbell would do with him? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he would turn him into even more of a monster. I, I'm telling you, the Detroit Lions might be the Philadelphia Eagles this this season. Like, in terms of turning it around that drastically. 
And a lot of that resides on on Jared Goff. And I know, obviously, yeah. with the Jamison Williams suspension, that takes a little bit of a blow with this. But, I mean, you're talking about having a selection in the top 10 as a team that nearly made the playoffs last year. Like, they're going to be a turnaround team this season, barring some type of injury that takes place on them. Yeah, the arrow's pointing out for them, for sure. They've got a lot of positivity and a lot of momentum uh, surrounding them. The vibes are right in Detroit, as we would say. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I just looked it up. Their secondary ranked 30th in passing all, p- passing yards allowed last year. So Witherspoon, uh, he's not he's a fit, I think, from, from a team culture standpoint, and he obviously addresses a need. Yep. Uh, from the 314 with Believe It or Not, you could text him to us on our text line, 314-399-9646. Uh, believe it or not, the Cardinals struggle throughout the year, and one of their top players is traded away at the deadline. Do we consider Tyler O'Neill a top player? I would say so, because coming into the season, he was viewed as a top player for their okay. team. I'd Just agree. wondering. I'd agree with that. I, uh, I mean, I mean, hell, I said they're going to be top two at the end say. of May. Yeah. I'm not going to believe this. I, I still believe, man, I have to extend my timeline on how long weirdish happens in baseball, but I, I think they're going to be fine. I, six I think, months, the first six months of the season, weirdish happens. Yeah, yeah. The whole September. year, weirdish happens. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I still believe they're going to turn it around. And I'm not just saying that to have the Mike Schultz quote of, you know, if you're optimistic, you'll live longer. Yeah, you are, but there's okay. too there's too much talent on the team, and I, I know we always point to the Blues. I've said this before. There were signs of regression coming for the Blues. I don't think there were signs for the Cardinals. I mean, you added Contreras, who should have filled the hole of Albert Pujols, and even though he hasn't hit yet, Nolan Gorman's filled the hole at the DH spot of the production Albert Pujols was giving you. Goldie Arnada will turn it around, and then I think others around them will start to build up some momentum and start hitting the baseball as well. I, I still think Lars Newbar, who's gone cold, is going to play better. I look at uh, Brendan Donovan. I think he's going to end up playing better. I, I just think there's too much talent on this team for them to really struggle. Now, the pitching, it's fair to have the concerns about, but I think they can at least be good enough to where the offense should be able to carry this team because they should be an offense identity team first. So I'm not going to believe it. They may still trade Tyler O'Neill or Tommy Edmond or someone like that to go help add an asset to the team, but I don't think it's going to be viewed as, hey, the Cardinals are selling off because they're bad. Smalls? Yeah, I want to live longer, so I'm going to be positive. I, I, I just, I keep thinking, there's no way they should be this bad. There's just no way. Um... I wish Jordan Walker was part of the conversation Same. and turning them around, especially with the start that he had. But he'll be back. And I, I don't, but I do think they're going to, this scenario right now and getting these guys more runway in the outfield is to determine who is the guy without a dance partner at the end. And so there is going to be somebody move for pitching, I think. And it will be a name that's going to garner the quality of pitching that they're going to need. Yeah, I, uh, I'll i be the negative one. I don't think they're going to trade people away, but I think the struggles will continue. But I don't see this Cardinals team being sellers, if that's what people think. If they're going to trade somebody, it's going to be to switch it up and bring somebody in that can help. So, like with, last year, like yeah, a Bader yeah. Montgomery situation. Exactly. It's not going to be a we're selling off pieces so that we could be better in three years. It's going to be we're selling this off because he's not working into what we thought. But I still think they're going to struggle up to that point. So do you see them as a playoff team? Yes. Yes. I, I see him getting into a wild card. So you, spot. you basically kind of see them as last year's scuffling team. and getting, getting yeah. in. I, although I don't see them winning the division. I, I see them finding a way to sneak into that final wild card spot, but we all know how that goes for this team. Uh, by the way, update from Derek Gould, our boy Taylor Motter, 
Oh, uh, according to Gould, just stung a line drive off the L screen, had it ricochet straight back at him. Uh, he caught it with his right hand while his left finished the follow through. So apparently Modder is a ninja and he should be in the lineup today. Wait, wait, I have a bout it off the oh, it hit the L, L screen that the pit and okay. came back. He caught it with one hand while he followed through with his other hand. Probably would have been a hit. <laughs> yeah, a hit off the pitcher's face. Or an out, because that seems to be how the luck goes yeah, for this the Cardinals, Cardinals team. luck is going to lead to, just mark my words here, we can clip this for when it happens today. The outfielder is going to ro- be roaming back, probably Burleson, Uh <laughs> and it's going to bounce off his head and go over the wall for a home run. That's the only thing that's not oh. gone wrong for the Cardinals oh, uh, yet. What's his face? Jose Canseco style, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's always a good That's always a good sign. For, that might be rock bottom for this Cardinals team. If we're not there already. She's Michelle Smallman. I'm Alex Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson. We will come back with some NFL draft Prop bets leading you into the fast lane, and then we'll have the BK and Ferrario rewind. All coming your way next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pan. Draft round number one tonight. We've got round one through, I think, all of them here on 101 ESPN tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday. We are carrying the NFL draft for you here on 101 ESPN tonight. You'll hear all of the coverage starting at 6 o'clock. Alongside Michelle Smallman and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario, so let's hit our NFL draft prop bets, which we all know we're phenomenal betters, Smalls, which is sarcasm because T-Bone and I are terrible at this. Oh, we're I'm gonna, terrible too. We're gonna make I our run prop a beer mile because I sucked at betting. Yeah, and then vomited at the end yeah. of it. It was Ooh, it was yeah. a really fun day for all of us except Tanner. Yeah. But you could fade us if you'd prefer. Let's just have some fun with this first round of the NFL draft. Smalls, let's start here. Over under four and a half quarterbacks are taken in the first round tonight. I'm looking at five. You think five are gonna go? I think five are gonna go. So I'm going to go with the over. My bigger question is, does Hendon Hooker go in the first round? I think he does. Because if he does, then it's a, it's a blatant over, obviously, because Anthony Richardson, it's, he seems like he's going to be top 15. I feel like he's going to be the one that surprises somebody and where he's selected. Yeah. I just wonder if there are five teams that, I don't want to say desperate enough, but feel the need to draft a quarterback in the first round. It's pretty obvious three of them absolutely need it. Yeah, but to two other teams view that and say we got to pounce on this guy so he can be our guy next year. I'm gonna take the under. I I'm not sold. Hooker's a first round draft pick. I I'm shocked by the amount of buzz that he has picked up in the last really month to lead him to being a first round quarterback possibility. I mean I I remember reading and there was a, I think it was Todd McShay's latest uh, mock draft today had the Rams trading up into the first round to select Hendon Hooker. Look. I read plenty of articles that the Rams liked Hendon Hooker in like the second or third round to serve as their backup quarterback. And all of a sudden, this guy's leapfrogged into being a first-round quarterback. I'm not buying it. I, I say he doesn't get selected in the first round. So I'm going to take the under on four and a half quarterbacks. What the hell do the Rams have any capital to try and trade yeah, into the first round? picks, right? Yeah, like yeah. seventh-round picks in 2037 don't really matter this year. Yeah, they would have to like be trading part of the building, I would say. Like, <laughs> would you like the SoFi logo? We could give it to you. <laughs> 
So I, in my rationale here, have the Texans going defense at number two. Okay. And them taking Hooker at, at later in the draft. I, I believe they're number 12, right? Mm-hmm. To get a quarterback. I like that one because if that's the case, then Anthony Richardson, somebody's going to take him. He could fall to like Tennessee for example. Absolutely. Yes. And then the Tennessee Titans maybe don't have to trade up. They're thinking, we got this guy right here. Because you know D'Amico Ryans, he's a defensive mind mm-hmm. with, with some of the defensive talent that is going to be at his disposal. And there's already rumblings. Of that, I could totally see them wanting to grab their defensive player of choice at two and then get a quarterback later in the, in the first round. Well, let's stick with that then and say over under three and a half trades are made in the first round tonight. Ooh. I, I, I'm going to say under. You're going under? I'm going I think there'll be at least two. But I, I, I don't know. Three feels. Three, three feels. And a half. Yeah, three. Four feels too many. Yes, so, exactly. So I would take the under. Three is kind of the sweet spot for me. If this was two and a half, I think I'd take the over, because I see at least two teams trading into that top five, top ten range to try and get their quarterback. And then you're talking about somebody probably trading out of the first round late. Did you know Arizona's probably going to trade out of three? They, yeah, yeah right? they have to. Um. And I, I just, I, I really wonder if somebody tries to make a move with the Texans. Like if, if Indy tries to move into number two and trades the four pick to the Texans so that they can be sure to get Will Levis. He's got to think Indy's a little concerned that Tennessee trades to number three. Houston takes somebody at two and then Indy's thinking now we have no quarterback. Unless they want to go get Lamar, and so they're comfortable trading well, out of that four spot. Well, and that, that, I guess, goes into my over-under trades. It doesn't just have to be picks. Could be <laughs> NFL players yeah. that could be traded yeah, that's tonight. that's true. That's true. Good I, point. I, I think we see D-Hop traded tonight. I, I think that's going to happen. I mean, we've heard the speculation. Who was it? Pac-Man Jones yesterday on the Pat yeah. McAfee show. PK just throwing out all the yeah. insiders. Yeah. <laughs> um, he said, my sources say a deal's getting close. We'll find out what, how good Pac-Man Jones sources <laughs> are tonight. But uh, I... Uh, I would take the under because the the one that it really starts for me is Arizona. I I can't picture them not trading out of that pick. Like I know we I've mentioned where there might be the surprise and they take an offensive tackle and the offensive tackles are deep in this draft, but I I can't see them just staying put at three. I I think they need to trade out and I think somebody gets aggressive and leapfrogs them. I also could see somebody else trying to trade into the top 10, like at that Philadelphia pick at number 10. Maybe Philadelphia Mm -hmm. tries to move back. Somebody jumps in there ahead of Tennessee. If they think, you know, let's get Richardson before Tennessee does or Hendon Hooker, whoever's available on the board. Um, But three and a half is a lot, so I'm going to go under. I'm glad you brought up the number three pick because um, the number three pick, here are the the betting odds for these players. Uh, Will Anderson is plus 240. Tyree Wilson plus 270. Paris Johnson, the offensive lineman, plus 300. Then you get into quarterbacks. Stroud is plus 550. Levis is plus 1100. Anthony Richardson plus 1300. So the number three pick, Smalls, who do you believe gets selected in that spot? Oh, boy. Uh, real quick. Yeah. I uh, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah this morning. I was reading different drafts at NFL.com. And I think his latest mock has the Texans retaining number two, getting C.J. Stroud at two, and then trading with the Cardinals to get Will Anderson Jr., their, their defensive edge rusher. At that number three spot. He has the Texans at two and three. I would I would say that no matter what happens anywhere else is the most successful draft of anybody. Yeah. Can if you they, imagine getting both those guys? I mean, that's like what the Giants did last year where they, they got their defensive player. And then didn't they trade back into the top 10, top 15 and take an offensive lineman? 
I can't remember. I thought it was the Giants that had a really successful first round. I know they took Thibodeau. I remember that. Yeah, Thibodeau. They traded back into the top 10, though. Regardless, that would be impressive. So, Smalls, you're looking at kind of that defensive player, Will Anderson, at number three by the Houston Texans getting traded into that spot if you go off of Daniel Jeremiah's. Yes, but uh, I also saw an interesting mock today that had the Tennessee Titans. I forget. I should have written down because I read so many mocks this morning, but that the Titans jumped up to three to get Anthony Richardson, which I thought was interesting. And I saw one that had the Titans jumping in to get C.J. Stroud. Mm. So if I had to put money, I I like the odds, actually, plus 550 of C.J. Stroud going at number three. How about this? It'll be a quarterback. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) that would be the better way to go about it. Yeah, if I were to be putting down a bet on this, I would would circle one of those three quarterbacks, whether it be Stroud, Levis, or Richardson. Because I do think a quarterback's going three tonight. It, it just comes down to what do you think the Texans are doing? If you think the Texans are going defense, then bet on one of these quarterbacks because somebody's going to trade in, whether it's Houston, as Michelle just mentioned, or Tennessee maybe leapfrogging, as you just said. Hell, I wouldn't be shocked if like Washington tries to jump into that conversation because they need a quarterback because I'm not buying the Sam Howell hype at all. <laughs> um, but I, if I had to put a bet down on it, for some reason, and I told you, Alex, my gut never gets these wrong. It's true. It Ooh. doesn't. My gut says Will Levis is going three. I think Ooh. somebody's leapfrogging the Colts and going to take him. I don't know who that is exactly yet, but I can see where the Texans either go defense or Stroud, and then whoever comes into three decides, you know what, we like Will Levis better than the Stroud. I think Stroud's the quarterback to circle as possibly going to tumble down the draft boards tonight. And if that happens, I think Detroit pounces on C.J. Stroud. If he gets to number six, they say, we're going to take this guy right here. Uh, By the way, the only time Tanner's gut is wrong is when he says hot dogs for dinner sounds good tonight. Oh, no, that's a right call. We'll hit the rewind next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Here on BK and Ferrario, huge shout out to Smalls for sitting in for BK today. Always love when the T-Ravs get back together. Smalls, it was awesome with you today. Thank you for having me, guys. Sorry that it was so negative. Well, you know what? We (laughs) kept it positive with the lineup game. We kept it positive with Believe It or Not. We had a great interview with Mike Farron. The NFL Draft. Draft You can fade us on all of our decisions that we just had on our prop bets. If you missed any of the podcasts, you can go check it out afterwards. 101ESPN.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers for the sponsorship. So before we close things down, let's go back to what we started with uh, as the Cardinals get back in action later on this afternoon against the Giants. Jordan Walker will not be with the team as he was sent down to Memphis from yesterday. And as we talked about the decision from the Cardinals being odd, this was Todd Frazier, a longtime Major League Baseball third baseman, who was on the Foul Territory podcast talking about the Cardinals' decision. They're not even a month into the season. and they're. I mean, I think you got to give this kid more chance. I There's got to be more to the story, um, in my opinion, because... I went over 31 one time, so that would be a zero for zero my second year, and I didn't get sent down. You know, you got to give this kid a chance, dude. I don't. He's supposed to be one of the top-rated guys in baseball, and once you call a young man up, you got to give him two months. You got to give him at least two months to prosper and figure out what he's doing. Now, 
I put my Sherlock Holmes hat on here, guys. Because Todd Frazier makes this comment, and I say, okay, let's find out. Maybe he did go like 0 for 31 in that first month of the season, and they said, let's keep him here. Uh, he, did, he went 0 for 31 in his third year, his second full season, and it was the year following where he was third-ranked in Rookie of the Year conversations for the Cincinnati Reds. So oh. maybe a little bit different here. All but right, you buzzkill. Big picture here, <laughs> Smalls. I think you lean more on that side uh, with Todd Frazier. Of there's, there might be something else going on, but it just doesn't make sense to give the kid an opportunity, an extended look uh, for the Cardinals at the early portion, even despite his struggles. Yeah, I'm on Team Todd here. I'm sorry, Alex. Okay. And even though, like I said, the Cardinals laid out their reasoning very well, just because I understand why they made the move doesn't mean that I like it. And I wish that they would have kept Jordan Walker up, let him work on the things that he needs to work on at the major league level. Yeah, I, I'm Team Todd and Team Michelle. I, I would have kept Jordan Walker up and had him try and work through some of these struggles that he's going through right now. I I thought of this while we heard that Todd Frazier cut there. You know, look back to what they did with Nolan Gorman last year. Now, he didn't start the year with the team, so it is a little bit different. But he got called up. He kind of took the team by storm, played pretty well. And then he went through a cold spell. And they didn't immediately send him down. What they did was they worked with him. They took away the, I think it was the leg kick and moved more to a toe tap. And Nolan Gorman started playing better again. Now, he did ultimately go cold following that because it is a game of adjustments. And after that one, they couldn't seem to figure it out, so they sent him down. That's what I think they should have done with Jordan Walker. I, I think he would have figured out the hole in his swing, which is those sliders loan away. I think he would have cut down the chase percentage. I, I just think you have to play a kid like that, one of the top prospects in all of baseball, and a guy that you said in spring training, hey, yes, he struggled in the second half of spring, but we like his composure. We think he's a guy that should be up with the club. I think if you say that in early spring, you need to continue to say that this early into the season. I would have let it ride just a little bit longer. I'm not saying you go another month, and if he continued to hit like 112 and was striking out 25% of the time, then you send him down I would have just gone another maybe two weeks see how he is see if he's made adjustments and if he hasn't then send him down to me this felt too soon so like you were describing the Rockettes the leg kick instead (laughs) of the toe tap there we'll figure it out from that point but I mean look that's the other misconception I think people are looking at thinking that Jordan Walker has gone on this like 0 for 45 dry spell like he hasn't been but I guess I'm team Alex or team Mo here because I look at this and say, I understand where they're going. Like I think back to the Doug Armstrong quote at the end of the season where he was talking about these young players like Bolduke and Dean and Snuggerud and said, look, they're going to be a part of our future, but that doesn't mean we're going to force them into a spot right away so that we can compete. We're going to allow them the opportunity to get to the level that we need them to so that they can be longtime contributors. Maybe this had more to do with his defensive ability to where he, they felt like he was a liability and they weren't getting DH reps for him, so they said, let's just make sure he can go get more reps in the outfield so we can rely on him. But it does pose the curiosity question about why they did this when they were so optimistic about him in spring training and coming into the uh, beginning of the season. And now you just have to hope that it doesn't hinder his growth by sending him back down to Memphis. But once again, it also puts a massive spotlight on Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson when they get reps to find out how they're going to perform at the major league level. Yeah. Anytime I hear the name Todd, by the way, I think of Wedding Crashers when he Todd. goes, the painting was a gift, Todd, and I'm taking it with me. <laughs> the painting of a gift, Todd, I'm taking this with me. I, I think we'll see Jordan Walker. A character ruined me, by the way, Smalls. Such a, such a weird scene. Who, Todd? Yeah, Todd. Oh, t- tummy sticks? No, uh, tummy sticks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't want to play tummy sticks, Todd. I don't want to play tummy sticks. Get out of here, Todd. We need to end the show on a, on a laugh and a yeah, positive and note. And we're, we're ending it on tummy sticks. Smalls, <laughs> phenomenal job. Anything you want to plug before we let you go? Um, 
no, just that I'm pumped to be on with you guys. Yeah. I'll be on ESPN Radio um, coming up in May. A lot of weekend shows. I'll be tweeting out the dates that I'll be on. So and um, you follow and, me on socials. And at, you and, go ahead, Smalls. I was just going to say, at M. Smallman, I need to do a better job of tweeting when I'm on, but I will actively <laughs> try to do that in May. And you have a new podcast, our recent podcast out with Moon, right? Thank you for reminding me. Yes, we dropped a brand new Soccer 101 last night. You can get it wherever you find your podcast. We talk about City and some potential rumors about an exciting player that could be coming to City. There we go. Go check that one out. Go check our podcast out. Smalls, always appreciate the time. Fast Lane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.